got the pet of got pool or in english hailing frequencies open welcome back to the hit of miss star trek podcast for another in our deep dives into the klingon themed episodes of star trek as you'll have seen from our thumbnail and the little description on screen this week we are turning our attention to discovery and the divisive klingon appearance there but uh, we you know we have the usual sections before that and i won't be doing it alone uh, first of all if we're covering Discovery, I had to have on the internet's infamous, huge, number one, famous Discovery superfan. Please welcome back to the podcast, Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Infamous. I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> I was going to go famous and I was like, nah, infamy's better. Okay. okay I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> but yeah, Jordan LaForden from uh, various social media is known for being a, a huge fan of Discovery and always spreading the love of that show. So I thought, you know, we can't, we can't not have you on to talk about those first two episodes at least. So Thank you, Mike. Awesome. I'm excited to be here. Cool. And uh, the second guest you will have heard on uh, maybe one or two episodes and a few quizzes, including having uh, won the previous edition of Star Trek Mastermind. Welcome our 2023 Trekker by champion, Steve Brown, back to the book. <laughs> Hello. Thank you for having me. <laughs> You're very welcome. Thanks for stepping in. So, yeah, um, as I say, we're going to look at for our big episode review, the first two episodes of Discovery, uh, because those are the ones that really deal with the kind of the Klingon war and everything. And we can we can look at it from that angle, amongst many others. Um, so, you know, we won't have to deal with the spore drive and things like that just yet. So, although we have reviewed other episodes, you can go and watch. So, yeah. And, uh, but yeah, if you are here for the first time, uh, first of all, why? We've been going for years. But we break the podcast down into sections. Uh, and the very first thing that I tend to do is just a little bit of a get to know you uh, and a little couple of questions that I ask our guests under the title that I rather geekily call, as I've already hinted at, Healing Frequencies Open. <laughs> Hailing frequencies open, sir. So, um, you've both been on before, so I've basically already asked you both about your kind of, you know, what got you into Star Trek and your preferences and your favourite, I think I've asked favourite episodes and characters and things. Yeah. Any question that's left for me to ask just very briefly then, because it's related to the things we're doing this season is, uh, do you have any favourite Klingon-themed episodes or story arcs? Uh, and Jordan, we'll come to you first. Oh, no. Um... Well, I'm a huge Worf fan. I think Yay. I maybe mentioned that before. I love Worf. Um, and so I'm trying to think of Worf episode, a Worf episode that might be my favorite. Well, there's a lot of the next gen, because it kind of it all goes through from Sins of the Father to Reunion, Redemption, yeah. if you kind of follow that arc. But there are other ones. I mean, there's Parallels and... A lot of the Alexander stuff that most people don't tend to like, myself included. I, I do. I mean, I do. I have an Alexander action figure sitting right next to me, so I do like no. Alexander. It's, okay. it's Well, maybe I'll say, so it's, uh, I like, I think it's a fistful of datas. Okay. Uh, and I normally don't go for holodeck episodes, but I currently have the Worf and Alexander action figures from a fistful of datas sitting oh, next to me. Cool. I wish that I had the Deanna Troy one, um, but I do not. Um, oh. And what, can oh, even get <laughs> I think you can. I think they came as a set. And I, speaking of uh, Steven winning the Trekker Mind, I will never forget being on, I think it was on, when I was on Jeopardy. It was. Um, <laughs> I missed the, what was Deanna Troy's name in that episode. <laughs> and I don't yep. remember it right now either. <laughs> <laughs> and I do remember it right now. Oh, it's it Durango. <laughs> yes, that's right. That's right. Um, I shouldn't have brought it up if I didn't remember it, but okay. So I do like a fistful of datas. 
I love You Are Cordially Invited. I think, mm, I think Jezia and Warf are great together. Yeah. Um, I also really enjoy, I don't know the name of the episodes, but That's the cool. end of, near the end of DS9, when Warf and Ezri get kidnapped by the Breen. Oh, yeah. I don't yeah. know the episode title either. Though. That's one of the <laughs> ones I can't remember. But yeah. I know the episode you're referring to, yeah. And and part of it, too, is I just love Worf and Ezri figuring out their friendship in light yeah. of um, her being Dax's new host. So I love yeah. those episodes. Um, That's a good yeah. Person. Yeah, and then I'm a big... Uh, I mean, I, I really like Laurel. Um, in season mm. in season two of Discovery in particular. Mm. Um, and so any any episode that she's in, I'm gonna say is probably one of my favorite Klingon episodes. So the one that will be the ones that we'll be discussing today, she makes brief appearances. So we'll, I was gonna say if you, yeah. if you have a, if you have your where's Wally goggles on, you could possibly spot her in the first yes. two episodes. She's well, there. And, yeah, and it's helpful when you watch with subtitles because the subtitles say that Laurel says such and such and you can barely yeah. see her on screen. <laughs> Exactly. Um, so yeah, I'll say those those. That's a lot of them, but that's what that's my answer. That's cool. That's fair enough. Very thorough and uh, awesome. And Steve, I'm going to come to you. I think I know one of your answers just from knowing you for years. But I'll ask you the question: <laughs> Any other key Klingon things other than the Deep Space Nine episode Apocalypse Rising, which I know is going to come up? <laughs> that was one of the answers. Yes, between us and the blood wine. <laughs> that became like a live meme between us for, for far too long, didn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> have that gift of constantly playing. Um, other one, probably, I'd just go with uh, We the Warrior. Uh, work oh, good call. Years. Nobody's really mentioned that, yeah. yeah. Oh, it's a great Great. Really good, though. Not, uh, not a lot of love outside of next gen DS9. Nobody really a fan of well, Bellana Torres. No, I was gonna I I uh <laughs> I was gonna say, can I add two more? <laughs> of course. Um, I didn't going first, I didn't have time to actually think about my answers. So I'm gonna say um Barge of the Dead. Oh good one. We did because, that earlier. And I love Bellana. Bellana is one of my favorite Star Trek characters of all time, so I feel bad not mentioning her first. <laughs> um enough. and I wanted to add controversially. Because it's not thought of as—I mean, it's not a Klingon-specific thing. Uh, insurrection, because okay. Worf has some of the funniest one-liners <laughs> in all of Star Trek in that movie. It is a gorch, <laughs> right? Um, and when hardly noticeable. <laughs> when Picard tells him, "Let you know, let me know if you're feeling aggressive tendencies," and then later he kind of you know yells, "I feel, I, I feel like aggressive tendencies, sir." Um, I adore adore insurrection for those one-liners. Yeah, not just Worf and Venice, there's some pretty great ones from um, Data and the, the Trojan Crusher and everything in that uh, film as well. But yes. Worf gets a few, yeah. <laughs> awesome. Uh, anything else from you, Steve? Sorry. <laughs> no, I've got no additional ones to add. I mean, you mentioned a couple of ones there, which are obviously standout episodes. Um, I can't believe you didn't mention what might well be your favourite Star Trek movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know... <laughs> You're Perfect. a big fan of Star Trek Six, right? Yeah, you know, absolutely. Pretty heavily yeah. Klingon. You, you did say Huge episodes, gift, yeah. Mike. You didn't say. Oh, ah, okay, my bad. My bad. <laughs> yeah. It's a story, Steve's defense. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It was my favorite movie when we did the rundown. It was, yeah, awesome, cool. A lot of people like that movie. I think it's it's one of the probably top three easily. So, cool. Well, uh, as I say, that that was really all we have to uh, for the Healing Frequencies Open part this week. 
Um, so I'm going to jump straight into our next section because we might have a while talking about Discovery. There's lots to talk about and it's two full episodes. So I'll go straight to our next section, which is what gives the podcast its name. It is the legendary, or possibly I should say infamous again, hit or miss section. Infamous. So. <laughs> what about my performance? I'm not a drama critic. So you've both been on before, so you both guests know exactly what to expect from the hit on this section. Uh, but if you are new to the podcast or you just need a refresher, what this is is basically I pick things completely at random from anywhere in the Star Trek universe, throw a picture up on screen and ask uh, our guests whether they think this thing is a hit or a miss. A few reasons as to why we debate back and forth and then try to come up with a consensus uh, between us. And yeah, uh, because it's a Klingon theme themed series of uh, reviews, I'm trying to dot in some Klingon things to the hit or miss section, but not also make it entirely Klingon based because that would be kind of boring potentially so if you see Klingon things cropping up that's why uh, and again because we're reviewing two episodes which are effectively a two-parter this week I've tried to keep it low so I've only got five things for the hit or miss section so we shouldn't hopefully be on too long for them so um, I can confirm that you guys don't know what's coming because they haven't told you anything beforehand so nothing these will all no be idea. a surprise <laughs> and again, I don't know, there's no, there's no real logic to what I pick here other than, like I said, trying to dot in a couple of Klingon things. So if anybody tries to decipher why I might have done these, even I don't know, but <laughs> why not, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. uh, the very first thing then on the list for this week is something that's intrigued me for a while and I've never really brought up. It's a kind of ship. So hit or miss for the 32nd century shuttle from Star Trek Discovery's fourth season. And... I've tried to get as many pictures of different angles and things as I could on screen there because you don't see a lot of them and they're not really, you know, nobody brings attention to them. But it was very noticeable to me that they changed from the traditional old style shuttles to this Orville egg looking thing in the fourth season. That's exactly so. what I was thinking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll come to you first. We may as well come to you first, even if you have thoughts. So, yeah, what your thoughts are missing and why? Yeah, I mean, especially I was looking at the one on the top left. It did very much remind me of an Orville ship with this sort of thing yeah. on the back. But yeah, I mean, it's nice and streamlined, lots of big windows. So we've got futuristic materials, so you can just do what you want with windows. And uh, yeah, it's, yeah, looks good. Very much in the style of how they went really light and, and things like that. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things, we've mentioned it before, but it's kind of hard to do things that look, ooh, it's the far future. And they tried things like the detached nacelles or the programmable matter and stuff. And this is just another example of how do you make a shuttle that looks so far removed from everything yeah. that it's super advanced? And I think they did a good enough job. But yeah, so would you say hit or a miss for that, Steve? Uh, let's go hit. <laughs> just a soft hit, fair enough. Yeah. And uh, so over to, our, uh, over to our Discovery mega fan then, Jordan, what do you think hit or miss for the, the 32nd century shuttle? Yeah, I would agree. It's a soft hit. <laughs> I love the okay. interior. I think the interior yeah. is fabulous. Um, I like some of the, I don't know if I want to call them special features, but um, <laughs> in, oh, and I don't remember which episode of season four it's in when um, Culver and Reese, I think, and Bryce maybe, or maybe Saru, or I'm not, I don't remember who all's on the shuttle, but they're basically going into that asteroid to find Tarka. Okay. That, that episode. Um, we see a lot of the special, like, special defense features of the okay. shuttle that I really like. Um, I am more, as far as my vehicle preferences go, I'm more like of a rectangular instead of round mm. fan. 
So did you I, prefer the Class C shuttles that they used for the first couple of seasons on Discovery then? I did. Um, but this is still a hit. Like you said, it's yeah. hard to make it recognizable, but still futuristic. So I think they did a great job, especially with the interior. Yeah. I was going to say the same. Actually, I think I'm more on board with the interior of it because it's it's got that cool kind of almost TARDIS vibe. Like it looks somehow like it's bigger because of the way that everything... It's not. It's just the way that it's sloped and the way everything looks, which is really cool. But yeah, on the outside, I'm going to say the same as you two, just that it's a soft hit. And I think it's unfortunate that it resembles the Orville shuttle so much. I, I've got to believe it's a coincidence. It's probably... They couldn't have known it. But yeah, Steve's right with that little fin or bumper thing on the back. It's it's virtually identical. Um, and it's it's a shame because it's it, you, know, you can see they were just trying to do something different. And for that, you know, in that regard, it works. Although I don't love, you know, plain white. I prefer to have a little bit of something on my ships. But I give them the pass that presumably, as Steve said, it's programmable matter. You could always just invent or chuck up extra windows or markings or whatever you wanted anyway. So let's just assume they can do that. So yeah, soft soft hit for me. Not not the best thing ever, and not my favorite shuttlecraft. But it was when it appeared, I was like, oh look, a new ship. That's cool. Not the worst thing ever. So yeah, I wonder if it sort of falls down for storage. You know, you don't need all of the actual consoles and all that. If it's all programmable, matter. You'll have a few things yeah. like a warp core or something that might obviously need to be in a certain configuration all the time. But like the yeah, cabin sure. shrinks down <laughs> for storage. Possibly. And, Number two on the list then for today, uh, we're going to come to you first this time, Jordan, we'll mix it up. This is a character, and partly because I don't think Stephen probably even knows who this character is, so <laughs> hit or miss for the character of Murph. And <laughs> Jordan, <laughs> as I say, we'll come to you first. Um, I, this might be controversial, but I'm going to go with very soft, <laughs> soft hit for me as well. Soft? How yeah, dare you? <laughs> I know. Especially, I was not a big fan of the evolution of Murph. Um, I like the idea of it, but Teenage Murph, or whatever you call... <laughs> he's actually listed on um, on the page that I found this picture, he's listed as Toddler Murph. Well, now, I feel, like, wonder... now I feel like a jerk. <laughs> being like, I don't like <laughs> Toddler Murph. <laughs> it makes me wonder how many stages this thing's going to have. I know. <laughs> I like, um, <laughs> yeah, I... I I wanted to like the evolution of Murph more, but Murph overall, I do really like. Um, okay. Yeah. Fair enough. That's awesome. Stephen, have you ever encountered Murph before, or have you still yet to watch any episodes of Star Trek Prodigy? <laughs> I've watched the first three episodes. That's as far as I got okay. before. So you, I, I, I just never circled back to it. I so you know who Murph is, at least. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the worm-type guy. Yeah, looks roughly like that. Richard yeah. didn't have arms by the looks of it. As I quickly, yeah, that's actually the first evolution because it was like a weird slug thing. Because, um, that's one of the things I like about it. It's actually based on just a random insult from an old episode of Next Gen. It was obviously not meant to be anything, but the makers of Prodigy just took that and ran with it. And we're like, haha, <laughs> let's go and actually invent this thing that sounds ridiculous. Mm. <laughs> yep, yeah, I do, so, yeah, love, I do love that Murph is supposedly indestructible and can just like eat you know, basically anything and not be damaged. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of like, I can't remember exactly the specific ins and outs, but I know there's an episode where they're all basically getting captured by the bad guys and it's Murph that basically saves the day because there's not really much you can do with this indestructible thing. <laughs> perfect. He's the perfect I've, security officer. Exactly, yeah. I've just looked it up because it was bugging me and I knew I had it wrong. He's actually a melanoid slime worm. 
alluded to from the Next Generation Season 1 episode, Coming of Age. So. <laughs> That's so specific. <laughs> I know, I love it. But yeah, he was so cute to start with, and kind of still is, and it's a kind of a cool idea. I mean, it's cartoonish, but I, I think he's a huge hit because I just like the cuteness and I like the subversion of the cute thing basically being indestructible. You can't blow it up or hurt it or anything. So mm-hmm. some would claim that's, you know, OP or Mary Sue or whatever you want to call it, but I'm like, nah. It's a little gel blob thing. Let him go. <laughs> Whatever. So anyway, we, we didn't get anyone's answers. So Jordan, would you say hit? You said soft hit, yeah. I said soft hit, yeah. What Murph? And Steve, we didn't get your answer. Hit or miss for Murph? I'm going for a hit. I like the idea of a character actually, which we've never seen for a while, but a character actually developing on the screen. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I was quite uh, pleased about that as well when they actually showed, like, because obviously you wouldn't have got to that point, but I wasn't expecting them to actually say, oh, no, Murph will, you know, slowly evolve and become more, you know, human-like. As you said, he went from a slug to having, like, arms and legs, and if that is only toddler form, who knows what comes next? So, yeah, big hit for me. So, yeah, (laughs) we're all very positive this week so far. Well, (laughs) I told you you before, I like to talk about what I like, not what I don't like. So this is great. (laughs) That's fair enough. Positive all the way, it's fine. Every time I say that, I damn it with, uh, you know, <laughs> oh, dear, never mind what's going to come next. So, yeah, the next one is a character, but it is a specific iteration of the character that I'm curious about. So, hit or miss for the character of James T. Kirk, as portrayed by Paul Wesley in Strange New Worlds. And, Steve, it's your turn. Welcome to you first, hit or miss. I've enjoyed the character. It's, mm-hmm. it's not sort of evolved yet. In the Shatner Kirk, mm. he's still learning things, but certainly got the confidence and all that going. And then a brother yeah. from from yeah. nowhere. <laughs> but no, like, the brother was in one episode of TUS and got killed. But he was also uh, played by Shatner in a fake stash. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. The brother just looks like the security officer from Gal- um, Galaxy Quest. Oh yeah, he acts a lot like the security officer from Galaxy yeah. Quest. <laughs> The uh, Sam Rockwell character, I think. Yeah, yeah. that's it. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'm going to hit. I, I do like it. It's. I think they didn't need to bring him on, and it's sort of a shame they have, especially so mm. early. Um, right. It would have been nice that we've seen him in maybe another season or two, so they can start introducing that he's around, he's ready to step up. Whereas they brought him in now, I don't know, almost fan service a bit. I think. Yeah, possibly. Um... It's hard to argue against that because, like you said, I don't think there is necessarily a reason as such because mm. one would hope he's not really going to be taken over the ship anytime soon because that would hopefully mark the end of the show unless they're going to remake TOS. So, yeah. yeah, I see what you're saying. Um, either that or he'll just, you know, it's it's a couple of appearances and then he's going to have to disappear for the rest of the show. Or I guess he could always pop in and out, but yeah, anyway. <laughs> yeah, he's only um, popped in a few times already for various things. You less know, than you know. would think. I had this um, I had this argument with uh, DK, who I host the podcast with mm-hmm. usually, because um, he was like, oh, Kirk's always on Pike ship. And I was like, he's technically only been on it twice, <laughs> if you think. Because like, once was for the uh, when they combined the Farragut and Enterprise in a fleet because they were doing some kind of, I forget what, some kind of station Probably. repair or something. Yeah. Um, and the other time was for the musical, and it was because he was having first officer training. I was like, mm. yeah, he's appeared on the show more, but like one time was an alternate timeline, one time was a different alternate timeline, one time was only on the like pad talking to Lahan. It's like, yeah, so it feels true. like he's been on it more than he has, really. But you know, it's got its own crew at this stage. We don't need TOS Kirk or Kirk at all at this stage. That's 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 the future. 
Hmm. Let's just sit with the crew we've got, learn a bit more about them, have them involved in things, rather yeah. than just bringing characters that we already sort of knew a bit about. Fair enough. So hit or miss then for to conclude all of that. I like the character. Oh, trying to think how, how to really score that. Cause yeah, I'm, I've got no problems with the character. I just think they're getting used a lot more than they, they really should. The odd yeah. cameo, no problem. But well, you can think that the character and the idea of him being in the show is a miss while still appreciating the actor and the performance. I think. Yes, that's where, where I'm very much seeing. Yeah, fair enough. That makes sense. So we'll see a soft miss, basically. That in that case. Yeah. Um, not to put words in your mouth, but yeah, I think that's where you were you were heading anyway. So. Hmm. Fair enough. And uh, what about you, Jordan? How do you feel about this, James Cook? Yeah. So my yeah, one of my first questions was, is this prime timeline, James Kirk, not like tomorrow, 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 and tomorrow, and tomorrow, or a quality of mercy? Well, I'm I'm basically looking at it all as like Kirk played by Paul Wesley. So even though it oh, is okay. like three okay. versions, they were all the same actor. Yes. Okay. If you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. I just wanted to respond accordingly. Yeah. Um, I want to get a good grade in being a guest on your podcast, Mike. That's funny. <laughs> no, but I see what you mean because like the Kirk from the Kirk from what's it called? Um a quality of mercy is obviously Kirk in full command, captaining a ship and everything. So yes. he he it is naturally a different performance to Lieutenant, oh I've only just been promoted to first officer. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> sorry, not to just no, okay. carry on from there. Um I'm gonna say for me it's a hit. Um okay. Though I do agree with Stephen that it's, I wish they weren't introducing him this much this early, mm-hmm. uh, because there are characters on Strange New Worlds that we don't know a ton about or that got sidelined a little bit more than I would have liked in the first two seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, but I absolutely loved him in Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow. Um, okay. I thought adding him as a kind of mirror to Pike in a quality of mercy was genius. Yeah. Um, otherwise I thought he felt, mm. a, it felt a little um, forced in subspace Rhapsody, the him being there. It felt oh, very, I didn't, I didn't yeah, mind it, that. Cause <laughs> I didn't, I didn't mind it, but it felt very convenient that he was, Oh, I'm doing this first officer training or whatever. Um, which is, it's, which is fine, which is fine. Um, it's, he's still a hit for me. Um, yeah, I think I'm more on board with that because I'd have more of an issue if Kirk hadn't been there. And then we know that on Kirk's enterprise in the future that like Spock and Uhura and probably a bunch of other lower deck members are all just like, remember that time we all started singing and Kirk's just up there like, what? Yeah. <laughs> Whereas now we can be like, yes, I do. It wasn't fun. Right. Right. <laughs> so. I would say, I'm going to say he's a hit for me. And I think I do think Paul Wesley is doing a great job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, well, similar thing for me. I, I think massive hit, but only really only because of the performance, because I think Paul Wesley is really good. And I was pleasantly surprised because he, does, he doesn't come in doing a Shatner impression, which it would be incredibly easy to do. And yet neither him nor Chris Pine have actually went down that route. They've, they've, they've got all like this. They seem to me like they embody the character and I can fully believe they are that character. They've got the bravado, the, the charisma, whatever else without, you know, having to talk like 
this every two lines, <laughs> you know, whatever else that you would uh, you'd be tempted to do. So I, I really liked his performance, and as all of the various, like as you said, different versions, whether it was the one in Command in Quality of Mercy or Tomorrow, 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 or like I, said, I even liked him in Subspace Rhapsody and that other episode of season two whose name I can't remember. So, <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I can't disagree with you both that really he shouldn't be on the show yet, and it doesn't make a whole bunch of sense. And there are characters that I would like to have seen more of, including if it was a choice between, spoiler alert, him or just keeping Hemmer alive, even for a couple of more seasons. I'd have preferred that because that feels like it was a complete waste of a character, even still. But that's a different, you know, different argument for a different day. So, but yeah, for me, Jim Kirk is, is a hit in this version. And yeah, I think uh, nobody playing that character has ever really been bad because I like Chris Pine's version. I obviously like Shatner's version. So mm-hmm. <laughs> the next two are Klingon related, <laughs> which would make a lot of sense considering what I said. Uh, this kind of probably might feed a little bit into the episodes we're going to be reviewing later. But uh, hit or miss for the character of Volk. And the reason I did put this on, because uh, I thought it might clash with the episodes, but at the same time, we can't really deal with any of the kind of, uh, you know, again, spoilers if you've never seen Discovery, any of the big revelation about Volk being Tyler kind of stuff. <laughs> Whereas this would be a place where we can discuss that, since we all know that that's where it's going, you know. So, uh, and I think it's your turn, Jordan. It would make sense for a Discovery character. So hit or miss for Volk. Yeah, um, he is, he's a hit for me. Um, I think the, the reveal, I was very shocked by the reveal that, um, I was not, unfortunately. (laughs) Yeah, I was very, very surprised. And so that worked really well for me um i like the idea of this character who is a a bit of a i mean kind of a, a bit of an outcast or very much an outcast but he's very very faithful and very loyal um very much believes in his cause um mm. Yeah, and I think uh, Shazad Latif does a great job mm. as Vogue. Fair enough. What you mean, Javid Iqbal does a very good job. The, well. uh, right, right. <laughs> That's how he's credited. True. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's weird. Part of the reason that as, that's I was alluding to that I wasn't surprised was because for whatever reason, Hollywood or whatever you want to call it, the TV production people seem to have this weird obsession with making Shazad Latif play these weird torn characters. And I had just seen him in the last season of Penny Dreadful where he was cast mm. as Dr. Jekyll. Yeah. <laughs> and as soon as he was cast, I was like, well, he's going to have an alter ego. Everything this guy is casting, he's got some kind of thing going on. And uh, yeah, it didn't take long to go on the internet and some people had sleuthed out that Javid Iqbal wasn't actually a real person. And I was like, <laughs> right. Oh, all right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So, yeah. Well, I think yeah, I had mentioned on I think I mentioned on Mastodon. I don't know if you saw this, Mike. That my husband is watching Discovery for the first time ever right now, mm-hmm. and we are halfway through season one, almost. And he has no idea about the Ash Tyler both <laughs> Fair situation. Enough. And he's like, he's like, I thought Shazad Latif played Vogue. Why is this person credited as Vogue? Yeah. Does he does he play him later? Like, what's going on? He's asking all these questions, and I'm just like, I can't tell you. 
that was so, part of the reason as well that I kind of knew something was going on because initially when he was cast, he was cast and they said he was cast as Call, uh, Call Shaw or whatever, the, the mm-hmm. Kenneth Mitchell character. Then they said, no, he's not cast as one of the Klingon characters. He's playing Ash Tyler. But then there's this other Klingon character and I was like, all right, okay. That and is yeah, he's, one... in the, <laughs> he's yeah. in the opening credits even though there's no Tyler in the episode. One yeah. thing I will say about Vogue is I feel like there's too many main Klingon players going on in the first season, the first few episodes at least, of mm. Discovery with Takuvma, Voke, and Cole. Um, yeah. I feel like there's maybe one one too many. Um, I think personally as well that they killed off the most interesting one. <laughs> yeah, and so I kind of wish that Takuvma and Voke were just one character. Yeah. Don't, cha- don't change much else, but um, the, yeah, it's kind of... Yeah, he's yeah. still both is still a hit for me for sure, but I, 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 yeah, I wish that they had done that a little differently. Yeah, and see, I don't see the point of Cole. I, I would never begrudge Kenneth Mitchell; he's a fantastic actor. But in fairness, he com- comes back in like three other roles anyway, so I don't see why you needed that first season version because he's he. It seems like his only thing is be angry and oppose him, and it's like there's no real depth other than err. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm I'm not for whatever you are. <laughs> All right, just stop being jerk, <laughs> whatever. Yeah. But yeah, anyway, I'll see Steve, what about you? When it comes to Volk, uh, are you seeing hit or miss? I think you've covered a lot more than I can even remember. Of, uh, <laughs> the part of the show. Yeah. Maybe I shouldn't um, have gone first. Sorry, Steve. <laughs> no, that's fine. You've, you've actually given me some ideas, even things to even say. I, I, I really like the idea, obviously, later on, where there's you know, that the big reveal and all that sort of stuff. I like that that part of it and just that, that development. Uh, it would have been nice if it carried on and the character yeah. had stuck around and then you could play almost that reverse side of Worf where mm. obviously you had Worf being a Klingon in a human world whereas he's a, a human trying not to be Klingon. Yeah, I, I was. that was part of the reason I was kind of sad when they announced that the Section 31 series was a movie was because I assumed when it was going to be a series that that uh, Tyler would be like one of the main characters and we could explore a little bit more of this. Yeah. But, well, yeah. I've announced on this show multiple times that Ash Tyler is my Star Trek boyfriend. So you can imagine how <laughs> you can imagine how I feel about that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was really hoping that he would be front and center with Giorgio in the section yeah. 31 show. Um, yeah. I'm hoping that and again that would least... be super interesting because you'd have a character from the mirror universe along with a character mm-hmm. who's Klingon, both of whom are imitating being humans. Absolutely. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm yeah, I'm hoping that with the Section 31 movie that they at least bring him on for in some capacity. I'd love to see him play Ash Tyler again. I hope so. If not, it would be nice to see him at least in Strange New Worlds, him and Laurel, because right, I've been saying that we've... for so long. I want. Yeah. I'm desperate to see them in Strange New Worlds. I mean, especially Lorel, because she's like the chancellor of the Klingon Empire. And whenever they're featuring Klingons, it's like you can't feature their chancellor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it seems like it's an important role to exactly. bring up once or twice. You or know? at least say her <laughs> name. Yeah. 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 Well, now you're, now you're, getting me all, Mike, you're getting me all worked up over here. Goodness. <laughs> sorry. I'll, I'll, I'll be good. But no, when it comes to Vogue, and I'm sorry to be controversial. And I know you're probably not going to talk to me afterwards, John. But I think it's slight miss for me. Um, and again, it's not because of the performance. I think Shazad Latif does a really fantastic job, especially under some of the worst prosthetics I've possibly ever seen. <laughs> but um, 
I just don't think that the for me the writers didn't really know what they wanted to do, and I don't know if it's a, if it's a symptom of half of the writing staff like leaving halfway through the season or whatever. Mm-hmm. But it just felt like, as Steve said, they didn't really know where they were going with that. So as soon as they address it, and he kind of kills but doesn't quite kill Culber, then for the rest of the character's appearance, he's just Ash Tyler, but also a little bit conflicted. Mm-hmm. And it's like we're not really dealing with this at all. Plus, I really hated the way they dealt with like the the impact of how he had been changed and that the implications of like assault and all of the really gross like body horror and stuff they went into because mm-hmm. I, I was raised on the age of Arn Darwin the Klingon spy who probably just shaved <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> and I have a job on this space station I'm human <laughs> but uh, yeah uh, but no I mean like I said it, it would it, there could have been some interesting stuff there and it would have been nice to explore that aspect of Tyler and it's a shame that they've ditched all of the stuff that was in that era when they did the 32nd century jump, but I didn't well, love the Vogue part. Not, <laughs> not to not to plug my own fanfic, but I oh. am I am writing Ash Tyler fanfic in the 32nd century where he goes with Discovery and has to deal <laughs> with being partly partially Klingon there. So uh, if you're oh. interested, I'm working on it. Interesting ideas for fan fiction. If anybody else wants to take those batons and run with it, well, you'll have to fight Jordan. So <laughs> There is enough room at the table for all of us. <laughs> as long as you're nice to Ash Tyler. <laughs> <laughs> Can I be nice to Ash Tyler, but create like a Tuvix type clone of Vogue to beat up? Um. <laughs> One last thing for the Hit or Miss section. And again, Klingon related. Uh, it's an episode this time. An episode of Enterprise. Uh, and it's the episode Judgment, which I'm hoping you'll at least remember. And Steve, it's it's your turn. So what do you think you'll miss for this? Oh, I've been meaning to rewatch Enterprise as well. It's very good. I can definitely recommend mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. The first yeah. two seasons are still a little bit ropey compared to the rest, but it's not as bad as I remembered. Like, I remembered them being terrible and watching them back. I'm like, you know, there's some stingers. Don't get me wrong. But there's also some surprisingly good stuff in here. <laughs> Is this early in the first season? No, this is late in the second season. <laughs> I think, anyway. I'm pretty sure. I it's cannot it's... remember it. Yeah, I, I watched it recently, actually. It's late in the second season. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I mean, at least the Klingons look like Klingons. I actually also can't remember that, so at all comment on it. I think that says a lot, to be perfectly honest, about yeah. the episode. I've, I've not done a few. I've maybe done one rewatch. Event mm-hmm. prize since it was actually aired, so um, yeah, it's on my. It's I will say if, if it jogs your memory, I'll, I'll quickly go into a synopsis and then you mm-hmm. can jump back in if, if it does. If not, then we'll, we'll you know we'll leave it at miss because you can't remember yeah, yeah. it. Um, but yeah, so basically, Archer is on trial in a Klingon prison for it, I can't even remember crimes that ultimately are unimportant or whatever because you know he's he, he wouldn't have done them. He's a good guy, and he gets assigned this Klingon lawyer who's played by the same guy who played Martok. Yeah. who has to argue his case, and then they do the whole Star Trek Six courtroom with the Klingons on Kronos, and he gets mm-hmm. sentenced to live on Rurapente because everybody saw Star Trek Six, and he escapes mm-hmm. and just does off at the end, even though he's been assigned to be, you know, an enemy of the Empire. And the only reason I remember any of this is because the season ends when they're going into the Expanse for the Zindi mission. Um, right. It inexplicably just has a subplot about him being chased by the Klingons because he's still technically a fugitive. And then they just stop and give up when they get into the Delphic Expanse and it's never mentioned again. Yeah. <laughs> they're technically like chasing him. <laughs> Isn't his lawyer very sort of conflicted about the fact that yes. he's the lawyer in the family and not a brewer of warrior doing all sorts of stuff? 
Yeah, and I think he's he's one of those typical kind of like the Klingons have lost their way. It's dishonorable to blame you or to protect. Because I think it's it's to blame him to protect Duras again, which they've done it before uh, yeah. in some of the way. Like Duras was actually guilty, but he's well regarded on the High Council or some crap. Hmm. <laughs> you know? Is he in the Queen of instead? Archer ends up getting sentenced there. Oh, the, no. the Klingon guard, I think, might get sentenced with him. Yeah. Actually, the lawyer, sorry, yeah. Maybe. yeah See, you're remembering up. bits of this more than yeah. me. <laughs> He kicks off and goes, you know, this is not honourable, the sentence and all that, and ends up being held in contempt and then sent as well. But then yeah. Archer gets away and leaves his Klingon friend. <laughs> what a wonderful guy Archer is, yeah. Uh-huh. Don't worry, you'll be playing Marduk soon. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe that's it. Maybe he actually gets off for a penny. It's only a very short sentence. Or maybe he's already had kids at this point, who knows? It's Martok's granddad. <laughs> so that's, so we know he gets off and is fine. So. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, but yeah, so I, I, I'm. So where do you fall then? Are you seeing it or miss? Now that you remember a bit more of it. I claim on courtroom. I'll say here. Okay, fair enough. Uh, Jordan, <laughs> do you remember anything more about this now? Oh, yeah, I do. I watched it pretty recently. Um, okay, fair enough. You might be the best of all of us, too. Uh, to <laughs> I, I don't know about then. that. You got, you got most of it. Um, I would say it's, I'd say it's a hit. Um, I think J.G. Hertzler does a wonderful job as the lawyer, um, which isn't surprising um, given his other performances. Um, I like at the end where he chooses to stay in prison so that he can, after his serve his year, he can go back to the empire and try to reform it from the inside. I think that that, and him realizing that that's, his battleground essentially, I think is moving. Um, it's very slowly paced. Um, mm. Like even, I mean, there are some courtroom episodes that are like that, but even for a courtroom episode, it's very slowly paced. So, yeah. which is kind of true of a lot of enterprise episodes. I um, think it was, I think it's a symptom of just classic Trek when they had 26 episodes in a yeah. season, they didn't have to rush to do anything. So yeah. there's an awful um, lot of, uh, yeah, <laughs> slow pace. But yeah, I, I enjoyed it. Oh, fair enough. So you're going to say hit then. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm going to sound like the negative Nelly of this week then, because that's going to I mean overall we're going to definitely be saying everything's positive because that's the consensus. But for me, I think this was a miss just because I remember watching it and thinking it is just the greatest hits of Star Trek. It's somebody that was like, okay, we've watched the DS9 episode with the Cardassian trial that wasn't fair. We've watched Star Trek Six. We've done the whole Worf taking the blame for Duras thing, and. I just didn't like it. it was like it, there's it's a bunch of disparate stuff that was just and I don't I don't love the fact that Enterprise is constantly interacting with the Klingons anyway because it doesn't really make a lot of sense in that era um so I didn't love that to start with and then like I said at the end the fact that there's no resolution and it's just Archer doing off like oh well enjoy your years long sentence and I'll be you know doing off and then we'll forget that I did that <laughs> even though they're Klingons and would kick his ass and kill him <laughs> whatever so yeah, anyway, slight miss for me, but uh, like I said, overall, it still comes out as a hit because of uh, the overall scores. So maybe I'll give it a rewatch sometime and see if I enjoy it more. I do remember the J.G. Hersler performance being really impressive, so I have to give it that at least, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And we'll move on to our next section, which will be the bulk of the episode, which is the review. <laughs> this week, we are reviewing Star Trek Discovery's first two episodes, you can call them a pilot if you want. You can call them a prologue. 
call them just the first two episodes. There's debate galore online, so I'm not going <laughs> to label them one way or the other. I'm just going to say the first two episodes <laughs> of Star Trek Discovery. Uh, so uh, to start off, then, before we get into the more review-based aspects, I do have some behind-the-scenes info. I say some. I've ended up with quite a lot again. Hopefully it won't be too boring. I'm just going to say it, but there might be some things that interest you, including uh, some things about characters and stuff that, that uh, turn up in these episodes. So if you bear with me, and uh, apologies to my guests that I'm going to be talking for a while and they won't, but if there's anything that interests you or you've got any questions, feel free to chime in. Uh, so yeah, I'll just start by saying, although Michael Burnham's formative years on Vulcan and the attack on Doctari Alpha were initially to have been featured in the first spin-off novel, the writing staff of Discovery decided they wanted to keep these ideas for the TV series. Uh, the author of that book, David Mack, recalls they also weren't 100% sure where they wanted them to go yet. This was while Brian Fuller, who was ultimately credited on screen for co-writing both story and teleplay of the episode, was still involved in the conception of the series. And yeah, don't get me started on that. <laughs> a different argument, we'd be here all day. Um, early script drafts <clears throat> excuse me, included very few character names or descriptions for the Shenzhou Bridge crew. None of the preliminary concept drafts of the script were shown to the author David Mack, although he did say production drafts of the teleplay once had been approved by the studio and were being prepped for production. Even the first three or four drafts of those had many of the Shenzhou's br bridge officers still unnamed. Although Philippa Giorgio, Michael Burnham and Saru were already named, the rest of the officers were referred to merely by their duty station. Mack recalled, I thought, wow, okay, in the TV show to a certain degree, you can get away with that. However, because he'd been assigned to pen the first Discovery tie-in novel, the aforementioned Desperate Hours, Mack, with permission from Kristen Beer, invented a couple of these characters' names, which ended up being used in the actual episode, as well as backstories for the characters, writing these up as a series of biographies. Influences on this work included production materials and the casting process. And the names and some of the backstory that Mack invented in this episode were Cameron Gant, Troy Januzzi, and the aforementioned Kayla Detmer. So... <laughs> So there you go. Apparently, she wasn't particularly well developed until, uh, you know, they'd cast it and uh, they'd let David Mack come up with some things. Um, the producer Aaron Harbert philosophized about, philosophized about Burnham's actions in this episode, commenting, it's not that Michael's strategy that's wrong, it's that she didn't convince people and move people to her side. And again, we'll get into that, I'm sure. That's going to be debated in a thousand different angles when we get into the episode. Um, despite being credited in the intro, main cast members Anthony Rapp, Paul Stamets, Mary Wiseman, Sylvia Tilly, and Jason Isaacs, Gabriel Locker, don't actually appear in either of these episodes. Uh, Shazad Latif, who plays Ash Tyler, appears, but only as the Klingon Volk, and as we mentioned, is credited as Javid Iqbal for the first time. This was done to conceal the future reveal of Ash Tyler being Volk, and the name was chosen by Shazad Latif uh, in memory of his deceased father, which is quite nice. Uh, quite a nice little honour. <laughs> Uh, during pre-production, Brian Fuller and CBS Broadcasting clashed over who should direct the episode. CBS opted for David Samuel, and Fuller felt he wasn't the right person for the job and instead approached multiple alternative directors, including Edgar Wright. And that's something I'd love to have seen. Uh, but ultimately, CBS hired Samuel against Fuller's wishes. Yeah. <laughs> in total, the spacewalk sequence took approximately five to six months to fully design and render. The biggest thing to convey, remembered Alex Kurtzman, was an immersive sense of what it would be like with the tech of the future to do a spacewalk like this and make sure that all the shots put the audience inside Burnham's experience as she was going through the asteroid field. The sense of a lot of close calls, but mostly this incredible sense of speed and joy and delight. It was really interesting to design shots that were really all about putting you inside of Burnham's head and mind and heart. And I would agree, and I'm sure we'll talk about that soon as well. Um, this was the first Star Trek episode to depict both a female captain and a female first officer serving aboard the same ship at the same time. 
And we'll also note that they are also both, both people of colour, and some of the usual suspects had huge issues with that. Takuvma actor Chris Obi was so thrilled to have a fight scene with martial arts expert Michelle Yeoh in this episode that he kept yelling out, I kicked Michelle Yeoh's ass on set. <laughs> I love that fact. I just picture him going around like, yay, I did it, I keep Michelle Yolos. Uh, anyway, Star Trek author Keith R. A. DeCandido gave these episodes a glowing review and said, I gotta say, it's nice to see a Starfleet officer commit an act of mutiny and actually suffer for it. He commented, I also was highly amused by Burnham whipping out that old Trek stand by outlogicking a computer, in this case, escaping the damaged brig before the force field died. Only unlike when Kirk did it, Burnham's logic actually made sense. <laughs> I particularly like the flashback to her arrival on the Shenzhou, where she's so very Vulcan. It reminds one favorably of Michael Dawn playing Worf as so very Klingon. DeCandido also cited Giorgio's hand-to-hand combat scene as another highlight of the episode. Conversely, however, he was of the opinion that, and I quote, the telepathic phone call would have worked better as another flashback. And that Burnham, Burnham having access to the Shenzhou's main computer while in the break, quote, makes no sense. Uh, picking up on one of DeCandido's points, Christopher L. Bennett agreed it was cool that we got to see Michelle Yeoh get to do some martial arts, although either she slowed down somewhat with age or she was holding back because her character wasn't a martial artist. I would say probably the latter, having seen things since then. Uh, he also nitpicked the scene in which Burnham is exposed to the vacuum of space, remarking her skin shouldn't have iced over because contrary to popular belief, vacuum is an insulator so you lose heat considerably more slowly in vacuum than in atmosphere. He then apologized and came back after being dunked in the toilet by a bunch of jocks. So... <laughs> Any thoughts on any of the uh, that behind the scenes stuff from either of you guys? That's I promise all that I had on that. Some interesting bits. Awesome. Yeah, I heard I had heard some of it, but not all of that. So that was oh, well. exciting. I'm surprised I had anything you hadn't already heard. So I'll take it. <laughs> That's good. We'll get into the episode. We don't tend to just go through and do like a you know blow by blow of what happened in the episode because we assume you've seen it if you're listening to the review. So it breaks down into little sections like writing or plot, then direction, acting sound and uh, music, visual effects, other things. Then we go into our favorite character moment in line, give a conclusion and a score out of five Starfleet Deltas. Uh, and again, if the conversation flows one way or another or it overlaps and takes us somewhere, we just tend to go with it. It's fairly free flowing. Uh, and I get the feeling there'll be some conversations that we could be having about this episode. Uh, in a lot of cases, I've just written chapter headings and been like, yeah, let's just mention that and it will immediately lead to a conversation. Mm-hmm. So uh, under writing and plot, I'll start us off then with one simple word. Klingons. <laughs> Steve, do you want to take that one? It sounded like you were going to earlier. So. Just why? <laughs> Just why? Why did they have to? Um, you know, a new show. And yeah, you've said for you, you know, if you're born on uh, or raised on the original series, you have a certain view of Klingons. But after that, Klingons have always looked the same way. And just decided for some reason to mess with it. Yeah, yeah that's uh, it's it's a weird situation because I think we're going to end up with three completely opposing views where you are very anti. Jordan's probably going to be very pro, I assume, and I'm somewhere in the middle. So, Jordan, <laughs> we're going to come, come to you and ask for your pro argument. Why do you not mind the redesign of the Klingons, at least appearance-wise? Yeah, I think that it is jarring at first. Um, and... I think it that's good um, because it is a new show. It is it has you know Star Trek hadn't been on the air for a long time, especially if you don't consider you know if you don't count the Kelvin movies. Um, yeah. The yeah Star Trek hadn't been on air for a long time. They wanted to make they wanted to update 
a lot of things, the ship, the, you know, how the ships looked, the uniforms, um, the special effects, you know, all of that, they wanted to bring it up to date. And I think that um, I don't mind the change of the, you know, the change in the Klingon design. Um, I, I think that if the Klingon design had not been changed, it would have, and I, I believe I said this um, on social media earlier this week, it mm. would have made a very different viewing experience. I, I think I would have taken them. I did, I did take slight, slight umbrage with that, but I thought I would save it for the podcast. And yeah, no. I, I see where you're coming from, but I would counter that the Strange New Worlds episode Under the Cloak of War kind of proves that to be wrong because they use the traditional quote-unquote Klingons and it's to me it's just as kind of dark and effective as anything Discovery did. I, I, I see I disagree with that. I It was hard okay. for me to and you'll have to I don't remember the the Klingons name in Under the Cloak oh, of War. Oh I can't War. it's just Vak uh, or something I can't remember exactly. Yeah um, I can't remember what it was. Um, <laughs> the Butcher of wherever uh, that I remember. thank you i was gonna say degore and i knew that was the wrong word um house degore is in season one of discovery um i'm getting all my klingon names confused um, oh it's easily done <laughs> i know degal degore um yeah so the butcher of degal uh degal degal um degal i think i could be yeah. wrong <laughs> so he um it was hard to take him as seriously with his design, in my opinion, with his prosthetics right. and um, not as seriously, I was taking him seriously, but there's just an, a, an added maybe ferocity and threat right. to um, the Klingons in Discovery season one, given their design. Um, yeah, I, th I, I feel like they are more up to date. Um, and I feel like they, while I agree with Stephen, that post TOS, they, you know, their design is very similar. Um, I can't help but think of the episode. Um, again, I don't remember the title of the episode in DS9, but where um, they are hunting down the albino. Blood Oath. Blood Oath, thank you. Um, and so, yeah, I, there, you, you, you see differences. I mean, they're not as different. That's not as different as discovery obviously no but i mean um, to, to your point though they do kind of introduce without addressing it at all three klingons from the original series who now have the updated klingon makeup and it's just yes. not referenced it's kind of yeah oh well they are yeah. those and we're just not going to address it so yeah, yeah and so it had yeah i there's in light of that this feels similar to me and i i do think that it, it does make it more up to date and i like yeah. that about it I can, as I say, I'm weirdly in the middle. I can definitely see the point of that. To me, my biggest issue was that I think visually they went too monstrous with it. Like they kind of, they needed somebody to rein them back a little bit. There are parts of the designs that I don't mind. And then there are things that are just inexplicable, like why they don't have facial hair. I don't think that would have made a huge difference to anything. Um, and like I said, why the prosthetics have to be so dang pronounced because I've already sort of seen interviews and stuff where the people that played the Klingons were in extreme discomfort and couldn't say the lines because they had these fangs and this bizarre prosthetic and I'm like well why do it <laughs> and it just seems like a weird choice um, and Lorel is a good case in point for me because if you look at her design between seasons one and two season one looks like a horrible monster and season two looks like a Klingon and <laughs> it's just kind of like ah. Huh. And we're not going to address this at all, other than she grew her hair. Shush. Yeah, I do. I do. 
I appreciate that they dialed it back a little bit. I think, you know, especially yeah, in yeah. early season one, um, they, they went kind of, they went a little far, uh, but I like that they, that they went for it. Yeah. Um, I think I, that they, they needed to go for it and they went for it and maybe they missed a little uh, the mark a little bit, but I like yeah. that they missed the mark in that direction than in the other direction. I think the, the best parts of these episodes are when there's nuance and certainly with Takuma, I think the, the more we see of him without wanting to sound racially biased, humanized, uh, like that backstory other than just like this monster wants to kill us, the more I'm interested. Like, you know, he was bullied mm -hmm. as a kid. He wants his house as honor. He believes himself you know, possibly deluded to be the resurrection of their great religious leader. And mm -hmm. all of that is much more interesting to me than just, ooh, scary guy, <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. um, so, again, it showed that they could do that, and there's some stuff there that really does work for me. Uh, and I will say, I, I, on the plus side, I do think the Klingons, for the first time in this these episodes, do feel truly alien. Mm -hmm. But, again, that's, that's part of the issue is that they don't look Klingons. And, again, not just because of their appearance, as I've mentioned, but I'm less harsh on them because I can see hints of things that I know are Klingon, and they are cool moments, like speaking the language. Uh, at all times instead of just randomly you know speaking english when there's no reason why they would between themselves it was a little touch but i liked that i liked things like the the death howl uh reappearing when they they were you know seeing the fallen warrior off in his casket and you mm -hmm. know some of the iconography the cool uh klingon symbols and stuff were there and the honor code uh, one thing in particular which i'll come to next so i won't get too far into it because it, my next note is that i've always kind of been bugged by the fact that they introduced this cool idea, I think in Next Gen or somewhere way, way back about the Klingons only really respond to shows of force and they consider you being nice and kind to be an insult. So this idea of the Vulcan hello of just like, they're only going to respect you if you basically, you know, attack them first was such a cool concept. And it's kind of like, there's such a, they, they do it in these episodes and you could explore it more for me, this idea of just, it's completely against our nature to think like that, but we kind of mm -hmm. have to. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we have to do that We have because otherwise they won't appreciate it. And they've never done this, but I'd love to see somebody unite that via writing in with how the Federation managed to get the Tellarites as a founding member. Because, yeah. you know, the whole, the whole thing with them is that they love arguing. So if you're not arguing with them, they'd be offended and leave. So, mm -hmm. And it's like, you've done it once already. You've obviously, you know, you're fine with it in that situation. Just apply the same kind of logic, haha, to the Klingons and do it that way. So, yeah. And again, we'll get into it, but I think in that regard, Burnham did have the right method, which is just like, okay, we don't fire first and whatever else, but show of force could be necessary. And mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Any other thoughts, though? I will say, uh, sorry, before I come back to you guys. The other thing that I do like and that I think really did work was the people they cast as the Klingons. And I've said especially, obviously, Mary uh, Chifo, Kenneth Mitchell, Shazad Latif, and Chris Obi in these episodes, I think, do fantastic jobs. I definitely wouldn't fault any of the, any of the acting mm -hmm. uh, or the actors involved. It's just, yeah, it would have been interesting to see what they could have done with maybe lighter prosthetics and a bit of a lighter touch. Um, so, yeah. Any other thoughts from you two about the Klingons before I move to the next point? I think the main things really. It was it was nice seeing a different aesthetic to them all, and yeah, they could have done that for me with a bit more of just a general costume or uniform change. Yeah, yeah, uh, it was very different. Like the ship was very different and things like that. That yeah. was already a, a big thing, and it was nice that you know they're all different houses that had their own way of doing things, and they developed that later on when you had it was a D seven or was a D five. 
D seven is the what they say in season two is going to be the thing that unites all the houses because everyone yeah. will be using that one ship. That Again, <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's after they've they've already sort of changed direction a bit with it. Yeah, it was exactly. it was good to see, but yeah, the data aren't used for quite the benefit too. Yeah, far. we'll get into the actual other visuals, the ships and stuff later on, because that is another thing that's kind of a bone of contention with me. Um, but again, that's a different argument, I guess. So, yeah. Uh, any other thoughts from you about the Jordan, the Klingons? Sorry, Jordan. <laughs> the, no. the Jordans Klingons. I think, <laughs> yeah. I think we've covered it. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah, it's interesting having all these points of view because we can still get along, and I think it's weird that we have three completely different, like I said, points of view on this podcast, showing that you can have that and not have to go rant on Twitter about it and claim that it's the worst thing ever. Oh, I've been <laughs> tweeting this whole time about how much I don't like you anymore, but... <laughs> uh, well, the next point that I've already kind of sort of touched on, what did you guys think about this idea about the Vulcan hello? Um, I think there would have been different ways of showing aggression without just firing straight away. Because, yeah, Federation, yeah. you don't fire first. That's fair. I think I was very sensible. And then, ah, It's interesting then... you say that because there's a lot of acts of aggression that they do do that I think are, if you want to take that side, you could argue that they'd actually given the Klingons plenty of motivation. Because, like, I really... I, it was only on this rewatch that I noticed the scene where Burnham says, oh, target phase cannons on the Klingons. And uh, George was like, we don't fire. And she's like, we're not going to fire. We're just going to target them. And I'm like... Still a pretty dodgy, hostile act, to be fair. <laughs> yeah. uh, they didn't know what it was. It doesn't look good. It's like, I'm going to point this gun at you. I was never going to shoot you. Well, I don't know that. Mm. <laughs> so yeah. that was already a bit iffy, you know? They, they also then, as soon as they realise it isn't just a probe or random thing, they stop targeting the, the thing and, and lower that threat value down. Yeah. I will say that as regards that as well, though, that, uh, again, taking the other side, just because, you know, we have to look at this from all angles, it was Starfleet that violated a sacred Klingon object and killed a guy. <laughs> like, in their yeah. What's the Klingon thing doing? It was actually, technically it wasn't. It was in Federation space. That's why they said they didn't want to withdraw because it would be exactly. it would be a bad act. But, yeah. I mean, it's still a sacred Klingon object. It doesn't matter whose space it's in. And it's still alive. I mean... Fair enough, you could argue self-defense, accident, or whatever else, but Burnham still killed a guy. <laughs> Burnham, no, Burnham does what Burnham does. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that was her defense in the trial, I believe. Yeah, yeah I mean, for someone... I mean, it's just gone off a different tangent, but yeah, for someone who's gone through Starfleet for so long, to then mm. just be willing to throw it all away... Oh, I'm fine with all that. I mean, I mean, th there's plenty enough logic to it applied in the episode and explanation given that I don't doubt that for one minute, anything that Burnham does, especially when you consider her upbringing and the stuff they bring up about her history with the Klingons having killed her parents anyway. Uh, yeah. And I mean, this episode again seems to confirm something which I hadn't really realized, which is that Burnham's literally only served on one ship like for her entire career from literally yeah. like before Ensign to current commander, she's only been on the Shenzhou. So, like, how good of a Starfleet officer can she be? She hasn't got that much experience. And she was kind of close personal friends with the captain on the one ship she was on. So, gives you a bit of a distinct advantage. <laughs> but, yeah, anyway. That's quite odd, yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, that's slightly off topic. But, yeah, so we've, we've covered a lot there. But, Jordan, what are your thoughts on the whole kind of, like, Vulcan hello and uh, the, the dilemma that it presents there? Yeah, I think I really appreciated... I have two main thoughts. Um, Go for it. I really appreciated 
how the it highlighted the difference between Starfleet's way of thinking and Vulcan logic. Yeah. Um, because I feel like so often, it's not the first time in Star Trek that this has happened, but so often they seem to be in agreement or like maybe, you know, they got there in a roundabout way or Starfleet can convince them through logic to change their minds. Like, I feel like it's, we don't see a lot of um, discord between Vulcan logic and Starfleet ideals. Until TOS, um, and then it's basically every other week. That's <laughs> right. Well, I was going to say, we don't see discord that doesn't get resolved, is what I was going to say. Yeah. Uh, so there's, you know, things will start out as a disagreement, and then it's like, oh, no, we can, you know. Agree we, just, that we just see Dr. McCoy being comically racist for 69 episodes. <laughs> right. Right. But, yeah, <laughs> um, seeing them disagree so uh, wholeheartedly and not have it resolved, um, yeah. I, I like that. Um, but, yeah, I like that. I like that it showed that that difference, um, that discord between the two. And then, so that was my one point. The other one is I, and maybe this will be controversial, I do not like all of the Sarek content in season one of Discovery. Oh, okay. He's like not a fan of that. Um, if, you'd put, if you'd put him on hit or miss, I finally would have been like, oh, that's a miss for me. I'm just not a big Sarek in discovery like i think james frame does a great job i think um they write his character well you know all of that but i just kind of like we were talking about with kirk being in strange new worlds i'm like why does sarah have to be so yeah it just seems so prevalent in discovery season one it's fan and service so and it is it is also that that basically directly leads to what a, a lot of other people's problem is which is that our spock had a secret sister you know, so right. it, you didn't really, and again, it was an unforced error. You didn't need to do that. You didn't need to have her be adopted by Spock's family or anything. Yeah, I mean, and I'm fine. What does it be a lot less because Spock had a secret brother already? So right, know? and I'm I'm fine with all of that. I just uh, yeah. yeah, I wish, and I I like I understand why they did it, but I almost wish that she hadn't consulted Sarek. Um, yeah, I yeah. So that's another. That was just something I wanted to bring up about the Vulcan hello. As it's an concept. interesting way of viewing it because, I mean, would you have had Burnham raised by a Vulcan family but just one that we didn't know? No, I'm fine with her being raised by Sarah and Amanda. Because oh. um, it would be yeah, hard. Totally. What I'm thinking of with that regard is that, like, how then do you explain the Vulcan hello? Because <laughs> you kind of have to have a Vulcan character there to contextualize that for me. Yeah, I don't I don't know. I don't know that she could. She should have. I mean, she, I don't know that she had to call him. And explain what was going on and oh so maybe you're saying the same as decandido that you think it might have worked as like a flashback so maybe we flash back and show that first encounter or we flash back he, to was Burnham he talking first about that one or... or was he talking about the one in the brig well either or really i guess yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah i think a flashback could have been you know especially if you flash back to when she was a child um yeah. First Which they do to, try to do a little bit. Yeah, but like if she, they flash back to her overhearing a conversation about, you know, between Sarah and Amanda. I'm just making this up as I, as I, as I go. Uh, you know, flash yeah, back yeah. to her child overhearing a conversation between Sarah and Amanda about her parents being killed by Klingons and them saying something about, you know, well, you know, Vulcans always fire first because blah, yeah. blah, blah. And so the logic based decision to, uh disobey and uh, disobey a superior officer and attack assault a you know superior officer um yeah. that happening in the first 
you know, the prologue or whatever you want to call it, um, yeah. sets up her character arc so well um, because she, you know, is the logic and emotion conflict in her is. I was going to say, I think I do. I, I actually would miss that ambiguity. I was going to go like the, the notes that I've got kind of go a little bit beat by beat. So I'll probably start doing that if you guys don't mind. Um, so the first thing is, what do you think about the opening, the way that it literally opens on the Klingon ship? Uh, or like the first opening scene, because there's kind of two before the credits, but the first one being literally Klingon ship, we're straight in there, they're speaking Klingon, and it is immediately in with this kind of, I guess, culture shock if, you, if you're not used to it, but, you, you know, we're seeing it from that angle and seeing what their grievances are. Uh, so, Jordan, what did you make of that first scene? When you, can you remember the, when you first watched it, what your I, thoughts were? I do remember, because I have not actually, despite my intense love for Discovery, I'm pretty new to it. Um, mm. I've only been watching Discovery for like two and a half years or so. Oh, okay. Yeah, um, I was in grad school and didn't have time for any Star Trek for a while, or like, <laughs> you know, the occasional episode I could do. But um, so I actually got CBS All Access to watch Picard and then watch Picard right. and then started dabbling in discovery so i do remember the first time i watched it i was in okay. our basement and it was very dark and i was on the treadmill and it was <laughs> so disorienting i was like yeah. i can't watch this episode I, I can't watch the show on the treadmill um it was already so... pretty dark on the screen as well. <laughs> I, know, I know <laughs> um yeah not the best uh first <laughs> contact if you will um but i yeah. i do now that i've rewatched it I do, I like how it opens. I think it's surprising. Um, I think it sets up the season really well. Um, I don't think it's too long of a scene. I, I like that they no. keep it short. Um, yeah, and that monologue, how the monologue ends is just kind of jarring in a good way. Oh, I love it though, yeah. yeah. Um, I'll, I'll get onto my thoughts in a second, but Steve, what did you make of, of that just opening part then? Yeah, it was nice to sort of, introduce things and introduce the new style Klingons as they were. Um, yeah, I enjoyed it. I thought it was good. It had quite an impact rather than a, you know, just a starship going through and someone maybe making a, a log entry or something like that. Yeah. 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 Although they do do that like immediately afterwards anyway. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. But it, it sort of tells you this is a bit different. Yeah. I kind of agree with you, and I think what sells it for me is, without wanting to sound too, you know, up to somebody's uh, butt, so to speak, I think it's the performance. I think Chris Obi sells it, because, again, it's really hard to do a monologue, and there's nobody else in that scene. It's literally just him, and I and I believe every word of it, and I'm sold on, like, his... Again, I don't want to keep using the same word, but his logic. Like, it doesn't seem like the Klingons are just, as they've tried to explain it in the past, just like, well, they just need a war, and they're looking for any old reason. It's kind of like, mm -hmm. I can almost see where he's coming from in that weird like xenophobic way that some people can logic themselves into this. And again, I love that it ends in him speaking English because he's parroting what to them is like the most insulting words. And I love it even more because of the callback later on of like, that is basically what they use as the trigger point because he says, here it comes. And mm -hmm. then she says those words that they so detest. And I'm like, ooh, that was a bad move, Giorgio. <laughs> like, I know we don't think anything of those words, but oh, you've just triggered them now. <laughs> you know? So, uh, yeah, I kind of love that. But, um, yeah, any other thoughts on that? Or should we move to the crepuscular home world? <laughs> uh, I believe that's what it's called. So, yeah, moving on to that, then, the opening. We get the log and we get Burnham and Giorgio a bit of backstory. And 
the somewhat scientifically dubious idea that you can see a Starfleet Delta in the sand from orbit. <laughs> Again, we're not going to get dunked in the toilet by jocks. We'll we'll accept that. So, uh, yeah, Jordan, what did you make of that particular scene? I'm, I'm imagining as a character, as a uh, as a viewer, sorry, who loves those two characters, you must have appreciated that. I did. Yeah, um, I thought it was a really a really great reintroduction to Starfleet after, like I said, after, you know, it hadn't been on television for so long. Um, it was this, it was, it was epic. I mean, yeah, the Delta thing was kind of questionable scientifically. Um, but but whatever, (laughs) it's the future. They can do what they want. Um, yeah. So I, it was, it was kind of this epic, you know, almost a goosebumps moment, um, for me. And so, Yeah, I was... remember that. That I remember speaking about surprises. That did surprise me because I had no idea what Georgia was doing when I first watched it. Yeah, and whether it's whether it's questionable or not, with that being the kind of end of the tease into the credits of just what she had done was walk in a pattern that had formed the Starfleet symbol. I was like, oh, that is brilliant. Yeah, That's, exactly. You know, especially for a reintroduction, like you said, of Star Trek, of just like, yep, awesome. Yep, Star <laughs> like Star Trek is back. You know, like that was <laughs> yeah, that was really cool. Yeah, exactly. And I will say uh, just one more thing, which controversially or otherwise, I do think it was a wise choice for them to open with the Shenzhou and not the Discovery, because mm. the Shenzhou is a much better looking ship, frankly. Mm-hmm. And well, I, I don't know about that, like because I like both designs in their own ways, but the Shenzhou is much more traditionally Star Trek of a ship. So it was much less jarring to see, you know, something more familiar at that mm-hmm. moment than it would have been to see something like really weird, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Um, not even necessarily just Discovery, but some of the other weirder designs that we see. So, yeah, that was just my chance to big up the design of the Shenzhou because I like it. <laughs> I love it. I love that design. Yeah, awesome. Uh, so, yeah, Steve, what, what about you? How do you feel about some of the things in this opening uh, scene? Yeah, I mean, it really cemented like the, the confident, all-knowing captain. Mm. And even though Michael's sort of giving all the answers and the directions, and then gets to the end bit, it's like, oh, my plan's not worked. I don't know what to do. And the captain just goes, right, follow me. I think and it's I a really think... great scene, though, because it shows yeah. the interplay between them whilst also being, like, it's a very small mission, uh, but it kind of gives you everything you need, which is we're not interfering because of the Prime Directive, but we kind of have to bring these people water because otherwise they'll die. So they're on, like, a humanitarian mission, which, again, is a great way to start. You're not starting with war or a space fight or whatever. It's yeah. like a, a mission to save a species. And as you say, the, the interplay is very TOS between the captain and first officer and and mm-hmm. when it gets to it, Saru, actually, for that matter, um, which I appreciate because it's, like, it, it's not that they're arguing or bickering or can't get on. It's just kind of, like, they're not the same person and they, there's a nice little bit of interplay there. Like there is with, with any kind of group of friends, really. So as you mm-hmm. said, uh, the way that uh, Burnham says something and then Giorgio's like, I told you that. <laughs> or, or as you said, Burnham's like, I have a solution to this. And then like, ah, turns out I haven't. And the captain's like, ah, I see, not, not as clever as you thought. <laughs> Paraphrasing, yeah. but, you know, I, I appreciate that. So, yeah. <laughs> anyway, I, sorry, I took over there, you were saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Which summed that up, yeah. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Awesome. Uh, so the next thing, that... well, I mean, yeah, it would have been nice to see. I think that from the start, it would have been nice to see more of the adventures of the Shenzhou. But that's not what the name of the show is. Um, but I always mm. said from the beginning, they killed off Michelle Yeoh way too early, which might be why they introduced her as the mirror version 
so quickly straight back into the show. But yeah, I would have. I, I always feel like we didn't see nearly enough of Captain Actual Prime Philippa Giorgio, especially for a character who the show will later say like is one of the top five most decorated best captains in Starfleet. You know, it's like all right, sure, so that would be nice. But yeah, anyway. Um, so yeah, the next thing I wanted to, to briefly bring up then was what did you guys? And again, it's it's probably it's probably going to be the similar kind of thing like oh this was Star Trek came back and it was a cool thing. And but what did you make of like the Shenzhou approaching the binary stars? Uh, the discussion regarding that, and then Burnham basically going out on that spacewalk that uh, took months to film. <laughs> what about you, Jordan? We'll uh, we'll come to you. What did you think of all this? It was gorgeous. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, yeah, and it uh, very cinematic, which I know they were going for. Yeah, for sure. Um, and yeah, it's like what you want out of a space show. Like you want it to be big and stellar and um, breathtaking. Mm. Um, because, you know, we can do that. Visual effects can do that now. Um, yeah. In a way that they maybe couldn't um, as well in the, <laughs> you know, 60s, 70s, no. 90s. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Obviously, um, yeah. So, yeah, absolutely breathtaking. Yeah. Awesome. That's kind of the main, um, the main thought I had. Fair enough. No, it's hard to it's hard to say anything otherwise. But, uh, yeah, so what did you think, just uh, as a kind of an aside to that, what did you make of things like, the you know the design of the spacesuit, the torchbearer armor, or the Klingon beacon that uh, that Burnham lands on. Yeah, I thought they were. You could tell that there was a lot of thought that went into them. Mm. Um, whether you like, whether you agree with their choices or not, you can still tell that there there's a lot of thought and intentionality in everything, in yeah. all the detail, um, which I love. Like as people who love Star Trek, like we love the details too. So to know yeah. that like whoever's making this loves obviously loves the details and is putting thought and intentionality into those details. Um, yeah, it makes me makes me happy. <laughs> That's fair uh, enough. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I I that wasn't a criticism. I actually really like the designs. Um, I don't like every design, but I think particularly like like Burnham spacesuit and everything just looks so cool because like you said, it's it's very sort of modern day sci-fi yeah. cinematic movie looking kind of thing and it's a cool sequence and like you i just thought oh this is just gorgeous and i love this yeah you know, so it does make me uh, it makes me think of um it's the is it it's the motion picture right where spock yeah when he's yeah. flying through Vija. yeah yes yeah and it makes me it always makes me think of that when i when i watch the vulcan hello um okay. as like a hearkening back to um to spock flying because it i feel like their their shape and body language is similar um well that might be purposeful she is related to spock so. yeah I, yeah exactly <laughs> um so it always makes me think of that as well yeah no i i agree and i, I again i like the design i'd like that as she's describing the klingon beacon i like the overall design of it from a distance but also as she describes it that there are like genuinely ornate carvings and stuff and again it's not something you could have done a few years ago that level of detail on effectively a special effect mm -hmm. but it does look you know when she's describing it it does look somehow ancient and carved and all of these things and again it would they had such a difficult task with the torchbearer in that they had to do a klingon space suit and yet what they came up with that badass medieval looking armor is yeah. so flipping good it is. that i'm like you know the klingons absolutely would just be like you need a space suit here <laughs> it's gonna put you in tons of metal <laughs> encases yeah. your entire body and makes you look as intimidating as possible but we'll stick a little klingon symbol on the shoulder so they know who it is <laughs> well i just love that the artifact was stone um yeah 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 which is yeah. just not what you expect you don't expect to find this like 
ornately carved stone floating through space. No, absolutely, um, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, there's plenty of rocks in space, but not like that. Yeah, I, I will say I may as well bring it up now because it was a note that I had later on for when uh, some stuff in part two happens. But I really take issue with this ridiculous notion that once the beacons lit everywhere across the galaxy somehow sees this light. <laughs> it's just like, really? Like, do you have any idea how strong that would have to be? <laughs> like, even Sarah on Vulcan's like, oh, there's a new star in the sky. Get out of here. <laughs> not only would it not be instant, but nobody would know it. <laughs> you know? Oh, the, the Klingons have all come. The ship must have seen the beacon. No, <laughs> no. You can see it sent a subspace signal or something, but not just this saw a big light. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, again, nitpicking, but it was just like, all right, come on. <laughs> Give it some thought. Uh, yeah, but anyway, we'll move to you, Stephen, and ask what you thought of uh, of all of this stuff in part one then. I thought you just covered about three or four topics there. Um, what was the first bit of it? Well, no, yeah. it was, it was, it's all the same stuff. So, everything from like yeah. when the Shenzhou arrives at the binary stars to Burnham killing uh, the torchbearer, Rejak. <laughs> yeah, I mean, okay, the the Klingon spacesuit, I mean, for me, yeah, definitely, they're, they're not going to think about the practicalities of it's just a spacesuit. They'll be thinking, yeah. we need to fight in this, it's good, yeah, good of armor. definitely, yeah, 100% behind that one. Um, when the ship arrives, yeah, beautiful. Um, I thought the spacewalk was long. If, if, I don't know why. It took... I see what you mean, and I, I made the note that, like, I think it's longer than it maybe has to be, but yeah, I give them the pass on that because, again, this is literally the first time we'd seen Star Trek in well over a decade, and if it wasn't the first episode back after a while, I'd be like, okay, you're being way too ponderous, but like for a return of Star Trek, I appreciated that awe and that kind of like, this is what space travel can be, especially when you basically have like just ships beating the crap out of each other for the next like 30 odd minutes or whatever in the next Absolutely, two parts. Absolutely, yeah, but the, the, the entire thing of her walking out and lifting off and the boots changing and all the angle, and if you're if you're like, okay, what's you? I'm on there, right, let's lift off. And then a bit of the asteroid thing. They could have chopped a minute or so out of that, and I don't think it would have made any difference. Fair enough. I think we'll we'll probably be in disagreement on that, but I can see what you're saying for sure. Mm -hmm. um, I, I appreciate it, so I didn't really mind, but you're not wrong in that if you find that to be slow, you've got to sit through it for a long time, I guess. Yeah, just like you know, later in the season or, or you know, in more original shows, that would have been a, a much shorter scene overall. Yeah, um, yeah, but yes, your pilot episode, first episode, they are selling that all the visuals and things like that. And it did look, did look really good, you know. Yeah. Um, awesome. Well, the the ship being in stone, yeah, that was quite a nice thing. It wasn't obviously Klingon. It wasn't painted green. Um, I don't know if we mentioned this. I I know I brought this up earlier, but I don't know if you guys like where you guys fell. How do you feel about um the idea that kind of you could argue that killing the torchbearer was the first act of war? <laughs> Or do you kind of forgive Burnham entirely because, you know, self-defense? Uh, Steve, where, where do you fall on that? The torchbearer actually swings at her. He does. He definitely does he swing does. at her first. Because she, she, she actually stops and tries talking with him and just says, I'm Michael Burnham of the Federation, you know, of planets. We we didn't know what the subject was. We'd like to blah, blah, whatever. And then he basically just pulls out a mechleth and swings at her. <laughs> it's like, well, F this. And she definitely doesn't go to kill him. She activates the thruster jets and impales him with his own mechleth because he's clearly the worst fighter ever. <laughs> I will have to put you up. It does clearly save the battle if he has any time. 
Oh, my bad. Sorry. But I thought, sure, I thought I had I to tell because they look so bloody different. It's like, well, that's actually true. Yeah, the battle has to be different as well. But I'm not sure how this few skilled Klingon warrior somehow happens to have his back there turned enough to stick into his own chest. But he's in space. <laughs> okay. We, we don't know what his vision's like in that big suit of armor. Like, it looks intimidating, but maybe he can see shit through it. <laughs> But he can hold a barf properly. <laughs> Look, we all have bad days. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he died very quickly. It would have made sure yeah. to see the fight scene there. Maybe they chopped a bit off of the, uh, the space flight. Well, and just put it isn't really a fight because there's not much you can do because Burnham isn't armed. So it literally is just like he swings a couple of times and she activates the jets, pushes him, and kills him. <laughs> well, there you go. You know, he swings, she ducks, she grabs the thing and it hits off thrusters and that sticks it in him. There you go. That's basically what happens, though. <laughs> well, she, no, he, she just goes, like, beep and just blasts it, though. Ah, okay. <laughs> that, that's a little, uh, something a little bit more. You'd have liked a little bit more of an extended scene there. Yeah. But that what th- to the question, though, do you think that makes the Federation a bit more culpable? Or are you like, nah, it's, you know. <laughs> Klingon swung thing. first, it was self-defence. They were trespassing on the Klingon's holy relic. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, which is in Federation space. Again, that's the interesting thing is that you could you've got counter arguments both sides because it's like you were on our holy relic, yes, but your relic was in our space. Oh, crap. <laughs> like you killed our torchbearer. Your torchbearer tried to kill our officer. So, <laughs> where do you fall down on this? It's like it's so weird because there is again, there's no real obvious answer yeah. or obvious provocation. It's all. So yeah, what what are your thoughts then? Because we we've come to no consensus between us. <laughs> so what are your thoughts, uh, Jordan, on on with regard to everything that went down on there? Was was Burnham culpable a little bit? Was it entirely the Klingons' fault? Where do you stand? Um, I would say that Burnham acted in self defense. Um, hmm. she didn't intend to kill him. Um. But she did kill him, so there should be some sort of uh, consequences for that. But mm. I don't think that that constitutes like an act of war. Similarly, like I don't think him attacking her, attacking her is an act of war. Um, mm. Which I feel like Giorgio kind of, when she hails the Klingons, acknowledges that. Like, we regret that this happened. Yeah. We, yeah, we want to... Well, talk, nothing talk goes this. down until Burnham panics and sort of appears on the bridge, not fully healed, and starts telling them to fire. So the Klingons, like, they obviously, you can't really say that, oh, we were provoked because of that, because it was fine after that for a while, I guess, as well. Um, yeah, sorry. <laughs> no, that's a good point. just wanted to quickly go over a few things that I had, and maybe you guys can chuck, chuck in your thoughts afterwards and uh, see how you feel about it. Um, mostly it's just things that kind of like fall onto both sides of the argument because I'm still not quite sure where I fall. <laughs> so like, <laughs> I kind of, I appreciate Giorgio saying if the Klingons intend to attack, balling up our fists won't dissuade them. Because again, yeah, fair point. <laughs> so <laughs> if they want to attack, they're gonna. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. I think the scene between Giorgio and Burnham in the ready room is such a good scene. The way that it kind of gives you both characters motivations and the way mm-hmm. the actresses play off each other, it's just incredible. Mm-hmm. Which I know you'll appreciate, Giorgio. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and when, then just when, I have specifically uh, when Burnham. Oh, uh, sorry, specifically when Burnham says, "I think you're right. I may not be myself." Like right before. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. That's because it's true. I mean, it's it's true. Whatever is going on in her, she's very conflicted. Um, yeah. 
Um, the next thing I have is basically I was I was trying to sort of like think of the key things from part two, and one of the things I came up with was Takuvma's backstory and the way that he is, and I was like, it's re- it's weird that he is both somehow he's less bigoted than most of the Empire when it comes to Vogue. And he's like, anybody's welcome. We won't judge because he's an albino or whatever else. But his entire creed is also basically the Klingon alt-right. It's like Klingons will remain pure and we will not be dragged into the mud with these, you know, lefty Starfleet types and whatever. And I'm like, huh, that's a really weird dichotomy that you've got with that guy. <laughs> um, which, again, it was an interesting thing that I would have seen, liked to see explored a bit more. But, again, the character couldn't live long enough for that. I do think that scene, and I'd be interested to know if you guys thought the same, the scene of Connor's death when he goes to the brig and he's like obviously out of it and doesn't know mm-hmm. where he is and talks to Burnham. And then out of nowhere, like the bulkhead behind them just blows up and sucks him out into space. I was like, that was fully shocking and heartbreaking because he's like, he spends the sort of minute or so beforehand just saying like, why are we fighting? We're explorers. What's going on? And then you just feel really bad for him when it's like, bang, dead. Yeah. Like, what? <laughs> what just happened? <laughs> yeah. Did you feel the same, Steve? It was a very sudden thing, yeah. Um, yeah. Although how he was so obviously incapacitated that he didn't know his way to the medical bay. But he had a concussion, clearly. <laughs> he, just, yeah. he just whacked his head. <laughs> but still. Yeah, I guess, but still. Um, this was the other thing. The Klingons not finishing the Shenzhou because they were heading into a, the binary star anyway. Just reminded me of that line from the, the Family Guy Star Wars parody, where it's like, what, are you paying by the laser or something? They're Klingons, of course they're going to finish you off anyway. <laughs> but again, we have to have that cool scene of them being rescued by the Europa's tractor beam, so I'll forgive it. Because, you know, <laughs> it led to better things. And the Klingons might have been hanging around because they knew the cleave ship was cloaked there waiting to attack. I did pick up on the idea as well, and I don't know where this falls in the Star Trek canon thing, but, like, Takuvma invented the cloaking device. <laughs> Only he can, like, oh, people are welcome to this technology, but I've invented a way to cloak our ships. And I'm like, what? He invents cloaking tech? Hmm. All right, do I they, guess. <laughs> do they say that, or did he just... No, I he thought... says that specifically, yeah. Oh, does he? He I says, I have that. devised a way to hide our ships. And then oh. when they're talking about, like, why is Vok, you know, allowed? And he's like, everyone's welcome in here, and you can share in this technology, and it gives us our advantage and stuff. And that's mm-hmm. why he, he plays that card to great effect to their point of view when he's like, I will send our envoy to you, USS Europa. And what he means is I will send our envoy straight through the front of your ship. Oh, right. <laughs> when the cleave ship decloaks and just slices through you. Because <laughs> yeah. I was like, hang on, him lying about that's not very honorable. And then I was like, actually, technically, he did tell the truth. The envoy did arrive. Right. <laughs> When he says, prepare to receive my envoy, they just didn't quite know what he meant, but he wasn't lying. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know how necessary it was that they had to go and try to capture a prisoner, Burnham and uh, Georgia, but I get that they'd be obviously angry and would want to try it, but it's a shame that it led to the deaths and everything. And yeah, good fight scenes, as everyone's already said. So yeah. Um, any thoughts on that? And then the big question, did Burnham start the war? Because there's so much debate back and forth about this. So, yeah. What about what are your thoughts, Jordan? Did Burnham start the war? Did Michael Burnham start the thing on war? No, she did not. Oh, and why? Um, because one person can't start a war. Um, and... Wow. Kuzma kind of tried to do it, you could argue, couldn't you? He tried, yeah. I, I, 
one person can't start cannot start a war, in my opinion. And I think that Burnham Burnham wasn't wrong, like we've yeah. talked about. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. The Klingons were <laughs> the Klingons were preparing to attack uh, yeah. anyway. Yeah, um, that's yeah, that's the point, isn't it? They were probably going to do it anyway because we'd heard the, their motivation and we'd heard Takuma's speech, so it really didn't matter what Burnham did, I guess, in that regard. And honestly, like, yes, she's a mutineer, but her mutiny didn't cause, didn't do anything. You know, they never actually fired. On I still think, yeah, I still think it's dodgy to say that it was it was nothing because she still did strike her captain. Which again should not have gone without punishment. Oh no, time. absolutely! But I'm saying her <laughs> mutiny didn't didn't start the war. No, it was, no, it didn't it start still, the war, yeah, but it, it was still, still it was still you know, oof. <laughs> oh, absolutely! Yeah, she should have been uh, greatly punished for that. But it did not start the war like she yeah. like it was pinned on her as having. Yeah, because she didn't actually get them to fight first in the first place. I no. see. Cool. Yeah, it makes sense. And what about you, Steve? Where are you falling on this? Yeah, that's fair. Um... A one-on-one -on -one meeting without any sort of conversation isn't enough, really, to start a war. The Klingons were there to kick off. Yeah. <laughs> they were waiting for them to literally go down a checklist. Are they going to say this next? Yes, they do. Step one for war. Let's go. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. Um, they were prepared for that fight, or certainly preparing um, when they sent the signal. They wanted everyone to come. They wanted them to see what the Federation was. And you know, keeping other ships in reserve and things like that—that's all actions for someone who's preparing to fight. Yeah, fair enough. They had destroyed well, the subspace relay. Yeah, to, true. Which we didn't right. see because that was off screen. But yeah, they did to to draw a Federation ship there. It was bait. Or to cut off the communications so that they couldn't call for reinforcements. Mm -hmm. It might have been the plan. You don't know. So yeah, awesome. Uh, yeah, fair enough. I'm kind of with the, with all of that. So I will say very quickly. I don't love the designs of the ships because. And I think I've read somewhere that it was Brian Fuller's idea that none of the Klingon ships look like Klingon ships and none of the Starfleet ships look familiar and all have to have boxy nacelles. And I think these were really poor visual decisions, but I don't mind it in the end because, you know, the space scenes look cool and most of the ships end up looking cool anyway. I just wanted to quickly note, like, that wasn't necessary <laughs> for me. Um, and, yeah, super quickly, any notes that you guys have on the acting other than just, you know, sell selling... Uh, Standing, who stands out? Sorry, basically, who's, who gives the best performances? Steve, what did you think of that? Um, nothing in particular. I think my only part of the acting I would have liked to have seen was I, I get why they did the Klingons just sticking as Klingons or trying to be very traditional, but as someone watching it, having a coffee constantly going down to the subtitles, it was a bit distracting right. from what was going on. I would have liked they would maybe started with a bit of Klingon. And then going into English, right? Okay, fair oh. enough. Um, but you you didn't mind the performances as such, though. No, no, all good. Cool. What about you, Jordan? Yeah, I, we haven't talked much about him or his character, but I I think Doug Jones is a standout as Saru right away. That was my first note actually in this. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, we haven't talked about him yet, but um, yeah, I thought Doug Jones as Saru was. Fabulous, and they're still figuring out his character in the first few episodes of the season. Um, I, I don't know if they are. I think they've kind of got it, but it's kind of nice that to, to kind of what Stephen was saying about Murph earlier. Um, Saru is one of those characters that's actually allowed to grow, so it's jarring to us to go back and watch this now because this is Saru before he goes through Vaharai. 
So he right. is kind of more cowardly and a bit less, you know. Yeah, but uh, him, yeah. him referring to Kelpians as basically being like cattle. Livestock, yeah. Yeah, mm. that's not quite, <laughs> that doesn't really jive super well with what we learn later. Um, it's more of the metaphor of like we are, we, we've been bred to be, you know, right. to, to be hunted and, and right. that's what we are. Yeah. To, to uh, but no, I think Doug Jones does amazing. I think Saru's character design is phenomenal. Um, yeah. Yeah, he was a standout for me, in addition to Michelle Yeoh and Sonequa. Yeah. So. <laughs> I, I'm probably just going to end up echoing the same. I'd, I'd wanted to, yes, I don't want to take us, keep us too long, but I would say I like that Doug Jones wanted just to make what is basically a completely unnecessary exposition scene in the context of like these characters must know this already, but he sells it. Yeah. When he when he is explaining to Burnham everything about the Catman <laughs> species, and you're like, she probably knows, dude. How long has she known you? <laughs> but again, it's yeah. to get the audience glued up. So you've got to forgive it. But yeah, I also agree. Doug Jones, perfect. And and it's again, that's the character the way it is back then. Um, and it's nice seeing that, seeing the growth by that. I think Sonique was outstanding, as we see. I think it was a real get to get her as the lead of the show. Uh, I think everything from her obvious awe at the binary stars to the frustration and the desperation of like trying to warn them about the Klingons and save mm -hmm. uh, Jojo mm -hmm. and her relationships with the other characters, especially Saru and Jojo, uh, and especially the way she acts very Vulcan, as has been mentioned in the kind of flashback scene, mm -hmm. is very well done. And again, the, the actual kind of closing speech in her trial is very well acted, even if I don't necessarily agree with her, her just kind of bowing down and giving in quite so easily. Um, and again, Michelle, you're great. I think because she's pure Starfleet, it's great. And her pain, at the kind of the loss of the Europa uh, before they go for that mission, I think is, it was her key highlight. Mm -hmm. Again, I think uh, to your point, Jordan, James Freyan is passable as Sarek, but he's not a patch on Mark Leonard, unfortunately. And yeah, Chris Obi is fantastic. And his best scene is probably the death scene with uh, Shazad when mm -hmm. they're doing the, will Kalos be Vedas forever, never, whatever. Yeah. Uh, any last quick notes on the acting from either of you? <laughs> cool. Uh, I'll quickly go through my notes on direction then. Just first of all, never liked that they have cloaking devices, but again, we, we could be here all day arguing canon, so I'm not here to do that. Uh, ridiculous overuse of Dutch angles and lens flares. Didn't really need that. Uh, the spacewalk scene was beautiful, as we've said. I think there's actual tension in Philippa. There are Klingons and the way that's played. The pan out to the hull breach, or the, the pan out to show Burnham on the, the hull, all really fantastic special effects. Uh, I think there's a real sense of the random destruction and, and, and the death of war, the way that it's dangerous. Um, the Shenzhou being saved by the tractor beam, I've said the cleave ship, all great. And the sarcophagus ship's neck blowing up, I thought was a really good effect as well. Uh, and I will say the episode was nominated for a VES award in the category of outstanding visual effects in a photo reel episode. So we are... We are not silly for liking the effects. That's an actual proof right there. <laughs> uh, yeah. Any thoughts on, because that basically covers more or less everything. I'll go straight to the end after this. So any thoughts on direction, visual effects, sound, anything like that? Well, anyone who knows me knows that I love Jeff Russo as a composer. Yep. And I thought yeah. mu musically, there are so many things in these two episodes that are gorgeous that mm. then come up as themes later, like the Torchbearers theme, um the music while burnham is on her spacewalk is perfect jeff yeah. russo can do no wrong i bow down no, to great. him um yeah. yeah so had to just had to shout out jeff russo's music because he is so talented and, and i'm glad you did yeah yeah the score <laughs> in these two episodes is phenomenal awesome yeah fantastic 
So, yeah, I think um, to, to basically summarise, and again, disagree with me if you want, because we're going to try and come to the consensus here that as I've started doing the hits and misses of this, I would say hit. Production values are outstanding. It looks like a movie. I think the performances are universally great. I think there's some hints about the Starfleet and Star Trek ethos here that are really good. Some interesting plot ideas, discussion prompts, and a lack of any easy answers, and how the Klingons are kind of understandable in their motives, even if I disagree with them. Mm -hmm. Would you guys uh, push back against any of those hits? <laughs> Uh, no, no, I, um, I agree. So, for, and for me, the misses would be just visual canon continuity is just non-existent at this point. Um, the Klingons are a bit too barbaric and savage for me. It's a little bit slow to start, but rushed at the end, which I guess feeds into what Steve was saying about the the spacewalk going on a bit long. And for me, it's just a little bit too dark and bleak uh, for for a first episode back. Um, and again, would you guys disagree with anything there? Uh, the Klingons were not too barbaric for me. I put them as a hit. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. I can definitely see both sides of that one. So I think that was that was more me judging other episodes in season one rather than just these. So that's probably fair. Yeah. Um, no, I understand. So uh, the next thing we're gonna do then very quickly is to name our favorite character moment and line in the episode, if you could. A spark analysis. So, Jordan, who was your favorite character in these two episodes? Oh, say, and, uh, and why? no, Mike, don't make me choose. Um, <laughs> um, my favorite character in these two episodes. It's a 14-way tie. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going to have to go with Michael Burnham. I feel like that's the Fair. easy answer, but it's I got to go with Michael Burnham. That um, makes sense. Yeah, she is... Yeah, she's there's so much potential for her character, and I love it's so fun to watch season one after having watched season four, and mm. just see how much she's grown. Um, she's yeah. a she's a complex character. Um, yeah, I love her. Awesome, fair enough. That's cool. Uh, Steve, what about you? Who's your favorite character in these two episodes? I'm gonna go with Giorgio, and you know, as you've already okay. said, all the you know, awards and accolades she got as one of the captains in Starfleet. Yeah, she's very much a Starfleet captain, um, mm -hmm. and I, yeah, I, I don't think Burnham has ever quite scratched that for me. Yeah, no, that's—I mean—that's a different um, d debate that with, with regards to that. But I will say I agree with you on my favorite character. It was also Giorgio, and it's because, like I've already said, she kind of represents the pure Starfleet ideals and things. And it's all summed up in the line when she describes herself as a human who had seen a life of loss but still chose hope. And I was like, yep, that basically... Yeah, that's such a good line, yeah. <laughs> That'll do it. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, so what was your favourite moment in uh, the episodes then, Jordan? Oh. Um, that's so hard. There's so many good ones. <laughs> um, It's another tie between 16 different things. That's, oh, Mike, this is hard. Um, My favourite favorite moment in both episodes total. Combined. Yeah, um, well, I mean, all you can just give, give me two if you'd rather. <laughs> I'm not okay. going to say you're wrong. <laughs> so I think I'm going to go with, it's close, but I'm going to go with uh, after Burnham wakes up in the DNA recombination tube thing and mm. like runs to the bridge um, and is okay. just really disoriented. And that when she tells Giorgio, like, no, there are Klingons here. Like, yeah. and Giorgio believes her. Um, and goes to red alert. I feel like that is, yeah, that's probably my favorite moment. Yeah, even though it does mean changing the bulb to go to red alert. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Bit of red dwarf humor there for our British viewers. Uh... <laughs> 
So, yeah. Uh, what about you, Steve? What was your favourite moment in the episode? Uh, can I actually turn that on its head? If you like. <laughs> the worst one happened to be when she, she turned on the captain, the Vulcan nerve pinch, and then took you know that, the mutiny bit. You didn't oh, like that? God, no. If that okay. wasn't right at the end of that particular episode, I was far oh, wanted to turn it off. <laughs> I, I, like, I, oh I kind of buy it for the character, off. though. I mean, yeah, yeah. you've got the first officer on a starship again. She's, she's close personal friends with the captain, and she's been on no other ships. <laughs> exactly, ah, oh, irritated me so much. Um, uh, I, get I it. can't think of a, a good scene. I mean, the the the, the space battle look cool. The the fact yeah. like the, the cloak chip ramming, like what's going on? Think, ah, oh, you. The Admiral's here, he's going to sort stuff out. Oh no, the Admiral's dead. Yeah, that was cool, yeah. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah, I'd, more or less the same. I said my close second was the battle scenes, uh, but my first was actually, again, contrary to what you were saying, the spacewalk in the, in the part one. I, I could have watched it all day, personally. <laughs> Sorry. You did? Um, That's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> it's worse than the splimming, that part of the motion picture. Oh. oh no, nothing's as bad as that oh. one. <laughs> okay, look, look better. I'll give you that. Oh. <laughs> so, uh, what was your favourite line, if you can think of one, Jordan, from these two apps? Um, I mean, the one you mentioned earlier about um, oh, what was it? The one you mentioned earlier about a life of loss and yeah, Jojo. So it's either that one or I really, I really do love when Michael says, um, I might not be myself, just the way that she mm. delivers it, the, the layers to w when you realize what she's about to do and what she does. Um, yeah. it's just I, really, I, yeah. Tied into that. I meant to see earlier. Cause I think I was kind of started seeing it. Um, I also love, like I said, when Burnham can't describe, like when she says, Oh, I, I was trying to protect you. Was it logical or emotional? I, I do not know. And I'm like, I kind of like that. <laughs> yeah. Yes. yeah. Which I guess ties into like, I'm not myself. I don't, I can't identify what exactly. Going yeah. On. I, I think I'm going to go with, I'm not myself. That is, or I might yeah. not be myself. That's just so, yeah. that's so relatable. And uh, yeah. as someone who's experienced, I mean, she's experienced so much trauma to yeah. then have to be faced with, with this danger again. And yeah. well, I mean, forget she had just been attacked as well. So. <laughs> oh yeah. 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 Her childhood trauma confronting that with you know the klingons that killed her parents um yeah. yeah and then being attacked by a klingon fearing for her her family you know her her ship is her family her crew's her family yeah. um fearing for That's their true. safety like it all just makes so much sense when she says yeah. i might not be myself um yeah. it makes sense that she's not herself yeah exactly yeah and it, it's a very economical way of getting across that she is very conflicted right now so yeah, awesome. Uh, what about you, Steve? What was your uh, pick of best line? Don't really have one, to be honest. Oh, you did not like these episodes, did you? <laughs> oh, I, I'm, I'm going to struggle when I rewatch them. When I rewatch, you just watch. did, didn't you? <laughs> I, I did, but I'm, I'm going to make a point of rewatching Enterprise and rewatching Discovery. Fair enough. Mine was, and again, I have reasoning for this because it might sound weird at first. But mine is uh, in part one when um, Giorgio says, agreement between my senior officers, Ensign Connor, note the date and time. Because <laughs> I, I just love that. That Again, it's economical storytelling yeah. and really good writing because that sells the relationship between all of those characters 
in just one quick line. And again, it's not combative, but it's just a little bit like, you know, uh, there's familiarity there and there's affection there, but also they don't always agree. And I like that for, for getting all that across. So, yeah, that was my favorite one. Um, Cool. Well, then next, then we before we give our final conclusions and things, I did throw this open to the audience uh, for our usual audience response section, or as I like to geekily call it, subspace communications. Incoming transmission. <laughs> uh, let me just see if I can find these. So I put out the the prompt or the Klingon beacon on all of our social medias and on various ones. Uh, I'll try and find which ones they're from if I can, but if not various social medias find the links below uh, and these are the responses i got as regards these two episodes on uh, facebook uh, marcus lewis says super dope episode i was confused about burnham at first but she quickly alleviated my fears uh, she from the walking dead her acting is superb Saniqua martin green is the name you were looking for there uh, also on facebook donald salisbury says number one i love discovery Number two, I love season one. Number three, the Klingon War episodes were good enough to keep me watching past them. Number four, they were also the weakest arc of the entire series, in my opinion. Number five, I still like them demonstrably better than the first couple of seasons of DS9 and Voyager, considering I've never finished those series. Number six, I do not skip them during my rewatches of the series. They're a good introduction to the ship and crew. Number seven, they may be better thought of as a bonus prequel to the second half of the season. And number eight, I get why people might be turned off by them. All I would say to those people is that the series gets better. Um, Danielle Meyer says the Klingons wanted war it was going to happen whether Michael did anything or not at least she took action so getting involved within the, the grit of the episode there uh, Daniel Worsley likewise says no one was in the wrong Giorgio was right by Federation standards and morality and Burnham was right by Klingon standards if they'd have bulldogged the Klingons they'd have thought twice about a war they'd still have brawled at the binary stars but not have thought the Federation weak and conquerable Debatable, but okay. Uh, Greg Bodding says, I think it was the best pilot if you take the two together since the start of DS9. As for the morality, Starfleet doesn't fire first, but the Klingons were looking for any excuse, so it would have happened regardless, which again is more or less what Jordan had already said. Um, Jonathan Andrew Klamas says, I think that honestly Starfleet was looking to scapegoat Michael at the end of the pilot. Could she have handled the situation better? Yeah, probably. But it was also Sarek who gave the bloody advice. You know, their most beloved ambassador. I'm frankly shocked that this bit was never addressed at all, especially as it was the Vulcans who dealt with Klingons in this manner right from the get-go. Uh, yeah, never thought of that, but good point. Uh, otherwise, this was a great two-part intro to the show. G good action, good moral dilemmas, a fascinating take on parts of Klingon culture and theology we haven't seen before. I really loved it. The dynamic between Giorgio and Michael was great. I really enjoyed seeing them agree, disagree, and run through a whole buttload of different emotive situations together. Plus, we got Saru. How could I ever be mad about that? <laughs> <laughs> Another fan of Saru, then. Um, I think uh, the other, yeah, the only other one I have is from our Discord, and it's from our regular contributor, Sandra Evanson. It's quite long, so bear with. Uh, she says, the premiere of Discovery was an exciting time for many of us. The return of our beloved Star Trek with all new stories and planets to explore. Learning that it was set pre-TOS definitely had me expecting one thing, but we were absolutely handed something completely different. I didn't like the reimagining of what was supposed to be older tech. I didn't understand why they changed the Klingons inside and out, and I didn't know what to think of the woman who did not trust the judgment of her captain. Uh, but the story 
we captured me and was even jaw-dropping at times. I found I cared less about the changes when I was so happy to be back in the Trek universe again. I remember DS9 wasn't what Star Trek was supposed to look like either, and Cisco wasn't your typical leader, but it became a favourite for many. So I gave Discovery a chance and appreciated the things that I did like about the older series and the movie reboots. The beautiful planet shots and space battles, as well as the way the lighting and shadows danced in every interior. Overall, my feelings were mixed, I recall, but there was no doubt Trek was back and ready to appeal to a new generation of fans with plenty of references and callbacks to draw in the old guard. Uh, in retrospect, I see these first two episodes essentially as a prologue to the main story, not the Star Trek I was expecting, but definitely the Star Trek that I needed. So yeah, <laughs> interesting thoughts, I think, all around from there, and nothing overly negative, which shocked me, so thanks to everyone who contributed to that. And uh, yeah, again, we are going to close up, as we always do, with our conclusion and our scores out of five Starfleet Deltas. You'll be glad to hear after hearing us for two hours. Um, let's see, so Steve, we'll get you and your negativity out of the way first. <laughs> <laughs> I just know you. What was your conclusion, and what would be your score out of five? Ooh, um, yeah, it was nice to have Star Trek back. Why they felt they could have started something very similar and then started going in a new direction. They, they sort of started from a new direction and tried to bring it back. It would have been nice for them as they do start with what you know fans like. And then try and take them on, on a new adventure. Right. And that, that was disappointing. Uh, and yeah, very much what's already just been mentioned there with the new look, the Klingons and things like that. I love the interior of the ships, for all that worked well. Technology thing, they use the holograms everywhere. Mm, like, yeah. oh, what? That was never a thing until like DS9. And uh, DS9 still been that. That's another thing they very quickly and uh, unceremoniously retconned with Pike, like, and we'll never use them again. Shush. <laughs> yeah, it's rip it out sort of thing. Um, I appreciate it, and I carried on watching it. You know, I didn't just turn off and not, not bother going back to it. Um, what score do you think I'm going with? I'm not going to even say because I don't want to, I don't want to uh, push you one way or the other. <laughs> I, don't, I don't quite want to give it three, let's say two and a half. Two and a half is actually better than I thought you were necessarily going to go, so... I'll definitely take that. I'm going to give mine next because I think we should end on Jordan because I have a feeling she might be the most positive, so why not? <laughs> um, and again, sorry, mine's always a bit long-winded, but I just said, like a lot of fans, I experienced a bit of culture shock when I first watched this. I was just so glad and excited to have Star Trek back, yet there was a lot here that was jarring. The idea of any visual canon continuity is thrown out almost immediately for a start. If that doesn't bother you, fair enough, but it's worth understanding those to whom it does. I myself am somewhere in the middle. But anachronisms and changing visuals aside, the story really is a compelling one for me. I find it hard to pick too many huge faults. Watching back now, I appreciate it even more. Initially, I tried to accept that it was just a bold new era and this is what New Trek would look like. Now, perhaps I'm more relaxed because I know that all the things I dislike will be retconned away anyway, so I can focus on this on its own merits. The writing may not be to everyone's tastes, but disagreeing with a character's decision does not mean it's bad writing. And I love that there aren't any easy answers and that it opens up interesting debates as our audience response shows. The production values are top-notch. The characters and performances are perfectly introduced and fleshed out where necessary. Part one is perhaps a tad slow-paced, but given its status as a reintroduction, I can see why. I know the show is divisive, but watching this again, I just felt like there's so much here that's very Star Trek feeling, and most of the things I hold against it are surface level. It's a shame this story couldn't have been contained in something adhering closer to established canon, as you'd be talking near perfection then, in my opinion. 
but even with all the flaws, I thoroughly enjoyed rewatching this. I, I was surprised. It made me want to carry on watching season one, and it was never anything that I'd overtly call bad, boring, ridiculous, or anything that makes my viewing experience negative. And I wasn't expecting to do this, but I actually went with a four out of five for this uh, on, on the rewatch, which, again, surprised me. If you'd asked me before I give it a rewatch, I don't think I would have. But, yeah, well, it held up surprisingly well for me, especially with all those things considered. So, Jordan, the moment of truth. <laughs> your conclusion. Truth. I feel a lot of pressure having called <laughs> to go last. Um, so I think it's a wonderful premiere to a to my favorite series of Star Trek, which I never thought that Voyager would be dethroned, but it has been. Um, so yeah, it's a wonderful premiere for a great series. Uh, it sets up the character stories really, really well, um, whether that's Burnham's or seeing Giorgio's arc, um, you know, effect in Burnham's life, seeing Detmer, um, or even to see others who were at the Battle of the Binary Stars that we don't see, but we hear about later, you know, so-and-so. Like, mm. Ash Tyler was at the Battle of the Binary Stars. Um, <laughs> and uh, other characters were either there or they um, knew someone who was. And so I think it sets up a lot of great character moments. I like that there aren't easy answers um, because that's a very reflective of life. Um, like you said, Mike, um, it's, it's, I was going to say, I have to, I have to do this. Hey, I taught you that. <laughs> <laughs> true. True. Um, yeah. So there's not any easy answers. And, um, I think, yeah, I think it's, I think it's beautiful. I, I think that I was less jarred by it than most because I had watched Picard season one first. Ah. Oh, and so it, it, it would have looked like Citizen Kane in comparison. Yeah, so it was less jarring, uh, less jarring than I love Picard season one, by the way. Oh, okay. Um, not the first time I watched it, but after I've rewatched it, I love it. It's one of my favorites. Um, I really but need I, to give it a rewatch, but yeah, I did but not like it at all. It, but yeah, re I, like I said, like I said earlier, I've watched the first these first two episodes of Discovery probably six times, and I love them. I love rewatching them. I think they're amazing. So I would give them a. I'm going to say a 4.5 out of 5. Nice. I kind of had a feeling that's where you'd be going. Yep, 4.5 so, yeah. out of 5. <laughs> uh, putting that all together, then multiplying it by 3 to give us the average, the final podcast score for the Vulcan Hello and Battle at the Binary Stars, which we're taking as one, would be 3.6 recurring out of, out of 5. So we'll round it up. We'll call it 3.7 out of 5, uh, which again... Pretty good. Not a, not a bad score. Uh, we've had far worse this season. I definitely know that, although I don't think it's near the top ones. But, yeah, fantastic. So uh, that wraps up our review of that episode. All that remains is for me to say thank you again to our guests for joining me and giving us a greater discussion and debate this episode. Thank you, Steve. No problem at all. Thanks for having us. No problem. And uh, thank you, Jordan, for coming back. <laughs> Absolutely. I love, I love this, Mike. Thank you. Nice. Well, hopefully we'll have you both back on again soon. Maybe not uh, not, not take so long this time, Steve, to have you back on another one. Because, um, yeah, always good talking track with both of you guys. And, uh, Steve, did you have anywhere where people can find you on the internet, or you just prefer your isolation? <laughs> My isolation and anonymity. <laughs> Fair enough. What about you, Jordan? Is anywhere people can find you on, on yeah. the web? Yep, I'm on um, Mastodon, Jordan LaFordon at um, at 104.social. I'm on Instagram as Jordan LaForden, and I'm also on Blue Sky as Jordan LaForden as well. 
awesome awesome and if you want to know the story behind why jordan lafoden go back and watch our episode uh, the review of assimilation the picard episode because jordan explains it in there and that's a good way to get you to go back and listen exactly. to it exactly <laughs> awesome you can always find all of our links the podcast myself and my usual co-host dk are always in the episode description because there's so many different social medias that's all just on a link tree now and uh, yeah, hopefully you'll rejoin us here for our next episode in a week's time when we'll hopefully be joined by guests Rick and Mary and we'll be reviewing two different episodes, both animated uh, and both Klingon themed. We're looking at the animated series episode of The Time Trap and the Lower Decks episode Wedge Dooge or Three Ships. So hopefully you can join us for that. And uh, yeah, again, I just want to extend my thanks to both of our guests here today. I've had a great time. It was fantastic talking these episodes. And if you've enjoyed it, like, subscribe, spread the word and uh Go follow us. And uh, I should have asked, sorry, because it just came into my mind there, Jordan. Do you have anywhere where this fanfic lives just yet for your uh, your Ash Tyler obsession? <laughs> uh, yeah, it's on AO3, so an archive of our own. Um, it's also on my coffee page, um, oh, which okay. is also Jordan LaForton. Um, and it's in progress. So it's not, I haven't posted at all. It's in progress. Um, but there's people might be listening to this later though. (laughs) That's true. Uh, so I'm writing about Ash Tyler post discovery season two when he's head of section 31. And then I'm writing something different where Ash Tyler goes to the future with the discovery and what happens there. It's very love triangle-y for a while. Yeah, uh, okay. and then he goes and he finds the Klingons in the 32nd century. So <laughs> that sounds like the title of a really bad B movie. <laughs> <laughs> right. He finds the Klingons in the 32nd. Anyway, yeah. So yeah, I was always happy to plug creative endeavors. Anything you wanted to plug before we go, Steve? <laughs> no, no, not at all. Awesome. Well, uh, again, had a great time. So hopefully you can join us next time. And remember, we are Starfleet. Live long and prosper. We come in peace. (laughs) Live long and prosper. You have been listening to the Hit or Miss Star Trek podcast, hosted by Michael Wilson and DK. Created, produced, and edited by Michael Wilson. Additional material produced by DK. Music by Timeless Journey. More information can be found at soundcloud.com forward slash timeless journey. The Hit or Miss Star Trek podcast is based on an idea by Michael Wilson and Will Templar. Follow the podcast on Instagram at Home Star Trek Podcast or look for the Hit or Miss Star Trek Podcast under Facebook groups. Links to all our social media accounts and more are in this episode's description. This podcast is available on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Just look for Silver Screen Hit or Miss Star Trek. This has been a Mike's Podcast production, copyright 2022. Thank you for listening.